Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shruti Poo. This episode 208. I'm joined, as always, by my co host for Mondays, even though this will be dropping on a Tuesday, Stacy. Is that Stacy Pat 89? Stacy, how are you doing? You know, I've been thinking a lot today. You know, um, I was in uh, Boston. Happy Fourth, everyone. I was driving back, and there wasn't a ton of traffic. Why why would that happen? Very strange. Very strange. <laughs> why would that happen? That is a good question, and we will get to the bottom of this. But we are joined by uh, not a first-time guest, but it's been, I would say, first time in a little while. Uh, his name is Jack Borman. That's at JRBorman13. He is the site manager for Canis Hoopus, which is a Minnesota Timberwolves blog. Jack, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, the uh, the man of the hour, I guess, since, you know, we got Kevin Durant uh, blocking everything else up. Uh, but before we get started, I do have to make an announcement that Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland that I do every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland mailbag that drops every other week. That is hosted by Drew Steele. Furthermore, there are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strick and Roll. That gets you access to me yelling even more. Uh, you also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Conley and Matthew Miranda. I forgot to mention this, but in the $6 tier, you also get access to the Strickland Discord, which, uh, you know, somehow while there have been no trades uh, of note in the last day or two, the Strickland Discord never stops. Definitely worth checking that out. There is tiers beyond all of those. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those get you access to a variety of other benefits like live watch parties, listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's get started. Uh, you know, look, I know I know you're here uh, to talk about the Wolves, but I want to talk a little bit about the Nets because I was talking to a couple of friends yesterday. You don't have friends, really. I do, surprisingly. Unfortunately, maybe, for them. Um, and we were talking about like how all the shit in Brooklyn has just kind of blown up. And they were saying to me, like, well, you know, you can't really blame them. They did everything that you should do, and it just hasn't worked out. And, like, I, I hear this refrain all the time. with like, you can't blame them. You can't blame them. They did everything. And I just got to say, I think that's bullshit. I think it's complete bullshit. I don't think they their process was good. I don't think they did everything the right way. I don't think every franchise would have bent, bent over backwards the way they did to appease these guys. You know, if you just go back to the the first thing they did, the very very first thing they did is what they signed them. But what did they come? What came attached to them? They had to pay DeAndre Jordan four years, forty million, because he was friends with them. Um, so that that's that's the first thing you do. 
Okay. Second thing, you fired Kenny Atkinson as a coach because he started Jared Allen over DeAndre Jordan. Um, that seems pretty bad. You know, you then immediately trade for James Harden the next year as soon as he's available. Um, that's kind of forced on you by them. But like, is it forced on you by them or are you just letting them run the organization? And I guess like, that's where I really struggle with it because I don't think you can say they did all the right things when it feels like to sign them, they literally had to give them control of the franchise. But then even the stuff that clearly were like Sean Marks things, right? So like moves that were clearly moves that he made, they were all like, they were, they were, these are not things that Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving would have given a shit about, right? Like this, this summer for, for example, they, if you just look at the roster, right? If you, you, they lose to the Bucks. If you were looking at the roster, you'd be like, okay, they really need to get some wings that can defend desperately. They desperately need that. What does he use his biggest exception on? He uses it on fucking Patty Mills, who is like a small scoring guard. When you already have Kyrie Irving, which at that time we didn't know that he wouldn't be able to play. You already have James Harden, who, by the way, when they traded for him, one of the appeals of trading for James Harden was apparently that Oh, like he's insurance for Kyrie when Kyrie's doing Kyrie things, I guess. Um, like I just think, I really think it's ridiculous to suggest that like they can't just be the victim of bad luck. Okay. Like it, this idea that like, Oh, well, every team would have done this and you can't blame Sean Marks. You can't blame. No, you can blame them. Like, you the can the blame only Sean thing, Marks. the only thing I'd say that was bad luck was simply. Harden getting a grade two hamstring strain in the playoffs, and then Kyrie landing on someone's foot. Outside of that, there's no bad luck involved also, with anything that happened. But Harden is also what thirty three. Yeah, I mean, this was like the like this is this is an example of, and I guess this ties in kind of a little bit, which we will talk about obviously the Wolves. But like, no trade, like you can't make a trade. Like Harden's thirty two. He's yeah. uh, apparently nineteen days older than me. That's kind of sad. That is sad, especially because you're in better shape than him, probably. Um, <laughs> but like, had Schwinn has seen me, I am not in good shape <laughs> at all. But like, but like, this is my point: is like, you can't, like, they can't have it every which way, right? Like, you can't be like, well, when they signed, like, when they signed Durant, they signed Kyrie, and then even when they traded for Harden, everyone was like, you got to do this because you get these this caliber of player together, like. You're going to win. Like, you're going to win. There's no, like, but, like, this is, like, it, this is not a given. Like, there's always things that happen, and there's downside risk to any trade you make. And, like, it felt like when they made these moves, I mean, I, I literally wrote five days before free agency of 2019 that the Knicks should not sign Kevin Durant. And a lot of people were, like, saying I was insane. And, I don't think I'm like a prophet, but I just thought there was a lot of downside risk there that people were not like, you weren't going to get him for a year. So like if he signs a four year contract with a one year player option, you already knew that one third of that contract was done. Like you're not getting any value of that. So it's a two year bet then to win a championship effectively on that contract. And then on top of it, to sign him, you had to pay this ridiculous DeAndre Jordan contract, which predictably, like, I mean, it effectively might have cost them Jared Allen, and it definitely cost them value on the way out because they had to unload the fucking contract, right? So, like, it cost you in that sense. It might have, it was a reason why apparently they needed to fire Kenny Atkinson, who, look, I don't think Kenny Atkinson was probably the coach to get them over the top, but, like, 
he was a better fucking coach than Steve Nash. Um, and then like you get, and then on top of that, you got a Max Kyrie who is like insane. I was out on Kyrie that last Boston year. I thought everything about that year was like really like for a fan. Like they were, they loved him in Boston at the start of that season. And then by the end of the season, like they were all ready for him to just get the fuck out. And I just think like for that shift to happen is pretty wild. That team had gone to the Eastern Conference Finals the year before without him or Hayward healthy, right? Like, they had gone to the Eastern Conference Finals the year before, and then they get absolutely waxed in round two uh, by the Bucks in 2019. But, like, the point is, like, there is a shit ton of risk there when you factor in all this stuff, right? Like, Kyrie is injury-prone, uh, and he's unstable for a variety of reasons. Kevin Durant ruptured his Achilles, uh, was missing a year, and, like... He's still great, obviously, when he plays, but he misses a lot of time now, which is natural because he's fucking old and he ruptured his Achilles. Like, like there's a lot of risk there. And then on top of that, you trade for Harden, who, yes, was he injury-prone to that point in his career? Absolutely not. Um, but he had played a ton of He's played a ton of minutes over the last, what, 10 years he's been in the league, however long? Like, this is a lot of risk for older guys. And they were all entering into their 30s, or if they were not already into their 30s. Like, this is, like, I just think it's crazy the way it was framed that, one, there was no risk, and two, you have to do all this shit. Like, that's bullshit. Because if that's what it is, then what we're saying is that, like, Sean Marks has no agency in anything that occurred, which is obviously bullshit. Like, these are conscious choices he and Joe Sy, the owner, obviously, decided to make. And so, like, while I, I do think, like, the largest portion of blame for whatever the fuck is going on there right now falls on Durant and Kyrie. Like I, I, at the same time, like you can't not look at the way their front office operated or, or you can't, yeah, you can't look at the way the front office operated and be like, well, they, they had to do all of these things and their process was good across the board. So, you know, you win some, you lose some and that's it. Like, I think that's bullshit. Like, I, I think that's a complete cop out. And I, I don't, I didn't agree with it in real time. So I definitely don't agree with it now. Yeah, I think the only thing that I'd that I'd push back on, well not even push back, but just a, a question I'd raise is like I I wonder how much of the decision to bring those guys in were non basketball related, right? You you have the Bobby Marks special that fucking sells your soul for, you know, Kevin Garnett at what age 33, 34, 35, whatever it was, Paul Pierce and whatever else they got for all those picks. Like the Nets, and I mean, obviously you guys would know this better than I would, but even from my point of view, like the Nets are completely irrelevant. Not to mention that they're playing with what are the second most, third most, most popular franchise in the league, one of the top three. And like at some point, like if you want to try and at least grab hold of, of some part of that market to try and get people interested, try and create fans, I get that bringing Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to your team can certainly help that, especially you know when you're looking at bringing in a James Harden. And obviously what Cy took over after KD and Kyrie agreed, is that right? I think he took over in like so he, August. So, but it was already, yeah, he took over officially in August, but it was already like known at the time, like, it was known beforehand that he was going to become the majority of So it was probably fair that he would be like, someone would come to him and oh, say, yeah, yeah. hey, like, I mean, yeah. Yeah, so, so I, I, I can understand. There was, there was reporting at the time when they signed them, one of the angles that was reported, which was obviously stupid and hilarious at the time, was like, oh, like, 
they wanted to connect with Joe Sai for business opportunities. He's gonna like show them how to like make all this. I kind of remember that off the court, yeah. and I was just like, I was like, yeah, dude, because I'm sure James Dolan. Like, really, this is the, like I get like it's fun to show the Knicks and James Dolan, but like, really, this is the angle we're gonna choose that like James Dolan can't connect with fucking other billionaires or something. Give me a brand dropout versus Chinese billionaire. Like, <laughs> but all, all I'm saying is, I wonder how much of that decision. And the willingness for them to ignore some of the red flags that you raised had to do with that. Because I'm sure that that was a very, very real uh, issue that they were dealing with, uh, with with a brand new, not brand new, I guess, but a, but a really nice arena in Barclays Center and not a whole lot of, uh, you know, ticket revenue and fan interest. I mean, I, I do take the, the stance that, um, like, that that is kind of, I think it's more of a cautionary tale and maybe... Maybe the conventional wisdom is wrong, but I very much think the path they took is the conventional wisdom, right? From the standpoint of not having any assets uh, after the the trade, um, you know, slowly taking on bad contracts to get even shitty assets, right? Which Leon Rose and company have been criticized for. Then they get D'Angelo Russell. You know, their team is not good, but plays its ass off. They raise their profile, and then you're supposed to cash that in. Like I, the alternative, if the alternative was they should have just run with you know the Dinwiddie deload nets, I don't think people would have been happy with like that's not. If you think that's what they should have done, then there has to be a massive paradigm shift around what's commonly accepted as the conventional wisdom for the for NBA trade. I mean, this is what the Knicks, this is what Knicks fans want us to do, right? But like I like I mean, look, I don't think all Knicks fans want this. I didn't want it at that time, and it's you not would, because you don't think that eventually they have to cash in their chips. For no, a they have to cash in the chip. The ch- your chip, you have to cash in your chips for a star at some point, unless you hit the de- hit the jackpot and like somehow all three. Like if you do what OKC did and you draft Durant, Russ, and Harden, somehow still manage to not win fucking shit. Um, but like yeah, then you don't need to. But yeah, you're going to need to. Yeah, Anabaka, and and, and then they got Adams. Yeah, right. And they had Nanon Kristich. Um, but, but like, yeah, of course you need to. But the point, this is the point, is like, it has to be the right star. It's, if you do it for the wrong fucking people, and it has to be a more than fucking like, what do these guys do on the court? It has to be. Like, sports, like, it has to be about more than just like, oh, like, well, if you plug in the numbers, this is the thing that gives us the best, you know, fucking, percentage chance to win the championship like i'm sorry like sports is about way more than that i don't watch the knicks just because i'm like oh yeah like, but do you think i don't think signing kevin durant and kyrie irving by why? the way probably the two best players according to ball don't stop ever is an analytic decision <laughs> no no i'm not I, kidding I, I would imagine those two are two and three after kobe let's be real but no, yeah but like like okay my point though is like if I could come to the decision that I would not want to sign Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving before they ever signed a contract, at the time that they like I wrote that, I genuinely thought so I, I remember reading that when Kevin you read Durant. it. I remember reading that when you read it, and I agreed with you. I remember being when he tore his Achilles, I was at the standpoint of like, I would not sign him. Uh if they did it, I would get it. He's Kevin Durant. Um, yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, I get, I, I get it. Yeah, like, I, and that's what. Like, there's, there's very few things that they did besides the DeAndre Jordan deal. Uh, it, it's basically they, they. I mean, they signed two stars who I think the biggest thing is they are mercurial people, especially Kyrie Irving. 
Um, yeah, Kevin Durant like shows up for work. Like you know, like I you don't have to like worry about that shit. With him. He's like crazy. Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving seem to be like um, if you've ever seen the movie Casino, uh, Ace and Sharon Stone's character, <laughs> right? So obviously Kyrie is Sharon Stone, and Ace is tied to her, and you know he will he is jeopardizing lots of things, even though she has she's unstable, right? Uh, that's really what happened. Um, but, I mean, this, it's such a tough line to walk in terms of who is the right star. Knicks fans are talking about Donovan Mitchell, so Donovan Mitchell will show up to work. But we have this whole issue of, like, will he ever play defense? Uh, the, the, the window and, like, the type of star, it's so hard to find that right guy. I think it, share, it sheds more light on that, the idea that he's, like, is the you need your star thing like the be all end all is that even the right approach to team building right? well, like and so like but this is like this is where like yes you, like and i i this okay i want to say this it's obviously i think i even said it there like if they did sign durant i would get it but like like obviously signing kevin durant and Kyrie irving that in and of itself is not some insane illogical choice right like that's very reasonable i think i think the vast majority of people and teams would have done the same thing, all right? So, like, I'm not going to shit on them for that. But I think it drives on the importance of, like, not just getting the right guys, but having the right kind of, like, structural setup organizationally. I think it's very obvious they got a new owner at that time, and there was probably some kind of, like, weird power shift and dynamic and vacuum, maybe, even though Sean Marks, or, yeah, Sean Marks was still there. Um, like, I think... KD and Kyrie were able to leverage their way into having way too much control. And I think that's really bad. It's very dangerous. I think we're seeing it right now. Um, and like, ultimately on top of that, when you make your move to go all in on whatever star or whatever, it's, you know, what do you have in place organizationally, you know, in terms of the front office and all that shit, what do you have in place on your roster? Do you have the right, you already have enough in place on your roster that you can bring in an outside star, superstar, or whatever, and that entire thing is going to mesh and it's going to work and there will be a good dynamic there. Like, these are all considerations to make. And I feel like, you know, when you just sell your soul and like that's, don't get it, like that is what the Nets did. The Nets sold their soul to what to try and win a championship. They gave KD and Kyrie everything they wanted. They did not hold them accountable at all for three years. They did not hold them accountable for even a second. And now they're trying to rest back control. And once, like, it's over. Like, you you can't get that back. Once you let go of that, you cannot get that back. And whatever you want is like, you know, Pat Riley, if he gave in to LeBron James when LeBron left in 2014, because a lot of that was about power, power dynamics. LeBron wanted... His guys in the organization, he wanted more control, he wanted more saying shit. If he gave into that, maybe they win another championship. Maybe they do, you know? But, like, there is a cost to that. And we've seen that cost in every other place LeBron has been in, right? Yes, he won a championship in Cleveland when he went back. Look at what they gave up. Like, they were really, really out. They were very asset poor at the time that he left. They were capped out. They had all these contracts. That's fine. You won the championship. It's worth it. You know, he goes to LA. They, they win probably a would have won more if they didn't have to face a super team. It's worth mentioning that. Yeah, maybe, but like he created that dynamic, so he doesn't get a fucking pass for that shit either. Fuck no, that. No, no, okay. no. I'm just saying that I don't care. That's the league. Like, who cares? Okay, it's a super team. But if he wins a champion, like when he went there, nobody was talking about it's a fucking super team. The super team they were talking about was his team. 
So I don't give a shit. If he's the best player in his era, that's his fucking problem. I don't care that there's a fucking awesome... Well, if he has to face the second and third best players of his era every Who? year... That's Durant's the third best player of his era? Get the fuck out of here, that bitch. Oh, uh, yeah, we, we are very anti... Would you say he faced at least the second best player of his era every time in the finals? And sure, then we can like, debate... Whether Durant is three, four, five, six, it, do, it doesn't matter. None of this matters to me because this is all just like this is how the league is. When he was in Miami and he had D Wade in his team, I don't think anybody was like, "Oh, well, it's so hard for these other teams." Nobody gave a shit. Like that's, uh, a lot of people gave a shit. Yeah, they gave a shit, but we don't sit back here in retrospect and we're like, oh man, poor like Tim Duncan. He could have had six rings if he didn't play that super team in Miami. Nobody says that shit. Like. You play who you play. The league adapts as it is. That doesn't mean I think LeBron James losing to the fucking Warriors in the final is some, you know, it's not like a black mark against his career. At the same time, I don't really think, I'm not going to use that as some kind of like, well, they would have won. Yeah, would have, could have, should have. Like, that's why winning shit is hard because things happen. So, you know, like he, like they, like as good as those Miami teams were, they lost to a team they definitely should have beat in 2011. Like, that's that's a championship that they lost. They definitely should have won, if you look at that matchup. And that's the reality. Sometimes you're going to place, you're gonna face a team that's better than you. Can you find a way to win? Can you not? Okay. If you can't, it's not a huge crisis. But it's also not something I'm very interested in, you know, giving you some kind of, like, half championship for that. That's bullshit. Anyway, my point is, then he goes to L.A., all right, and... Then he, you know, and they win the championship again, so it's worth it. But, like, now look at the situation the Lakers are in, right? They're, like, totally out assets until, what, they, the next pick they can trade is 2027, I think. Uh, they've got all, they've got, like, three massive contracts in their book, one being the Russ contract, which is horrible. Uh, they traded basically everything for Anthony Davis at the time. Again, you win yeah, they didn't trade Taylor Horton Tucker. True, good point. They held on to the key, the key piece. But, like... I mean, and again, they won the championship, right? So, like, it is worth it in that sense, but there is a cost to that. And and look, look, this is LeBron James, who is probably who is the second best player for me all time. So, like, like these teams went all in for LeBron James, and over the last what is it, eight years, they've won two championships. Okay, and like that's fine. Like that's two championships is great, but like. When you go all in for LeBron James, yeah, that might be worth it because it's LeBron James. When you go all in on dudes that are not at that level, like there's even more downside risk than there is with with a LeBron team. So I think the Durant injury is a bigger factor more than I mean Durant is close to that level. Um, no, he's not. Well, he's a top twenty player all time. Can we agree? So on how, that? But how is that the same level then? Like it's very, very close. It no, is that kind not. of like, out of everyone else. I mean, if you out of everyone else in this era, so Durant is talking about Durant. You're talking about LeBron, Steph, and I guess Kawhi. So, so is Durant close to Michael Jordan? Then, like, I don't like because if you're saying that a top twenty player is close, to I think for control for this era, uh, he is that level of talent where he like there are very few players you put him on a team. And they make you, like, I'm talking about peak Durant. I'm not talking about the injury. They immediately make you a contender. Yeah. Peak Durant uh, that got to one NBA Finals before he teamed okay, up. But any time he has been healthy, he's never been on a team that wasn't, even when it was depleted in Oklahoma City, a contender. Like, I get that it's, I, I don't like KD. I, I don't like his stands. And I hate the fact that people think he's better than Curry. 
he's I mean he's he is a generational talent. Um, he is? Yes. What has I, he done I, that's so generational? Um, I mean, what what I mean? Look at his scoring ability. Look at the I mean, he made the finals at what 2012, 2013, and what he was 22, 23. So he made like, the finals. He's been injury prone. He's been injury prone. He's won with Steph, and yes, he wasn't the best player on the team. He like they're not winning three out of four without him though. Why? Like I don't know how we say like they were literally about they they were beat some good Cleveland teams. They were they were one they game. Weren't, they, they weren't were, they were, they went to game 7 without him the year before. Like so, they like they 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 there's no like So here, so here's here's the bigger point. I think that if you're saying that the only player worth bending over backwards for is LeBron James. To the uh, extent where you just give them the keys of control to your franchise? Yes. I don't think that's the standard paradigm right now. That's that is, I think, the bigger issue. Um, I think there are players with a lot less ability than Kevin Durant who have the keys. I think it's worth. Someone said this earlier today. I think it was Omar in our chat, and we're like, "I would lose all respect for Steph if he didn't shut down a KD trade." And I was like, "No, he wouldn't. That's the whole point. He would he, like he's not he's not trying to do that shit." Um, but. Um, the point I'm making is that I think this is more about the idea, like everyone's talking about stars around the league, stars around the league. And I, I'm all for player empowerment. But to your point, should you like, and yeah, like maybe you think KD sucks. I'm saying that if KD is not good enough where you would want to, um, you, you know, you'd want to accommodate him that way, then there's like three players ever there are. Yeah, that's, that's basically what I think. Like, I don't think there's really... Yeah, and that's fine. And then the last thing I will say is the example you brought up is pretty important. The example you brought up of the guy who stood up to LeBron is a guy who's been in the league for five decades. Or, sorry, uh, six? As If you include him as a player. Uh, this is a guy who stood up to Jason... C I mean, Paul Westhead. Uh, he stood up to, um, you know, Buss. Um, you know, he, he, he coached, he's coached. I mean, look at the resume of players he's coached. He's coached Magic, Kareem, Shaq, Kobe. Uh, no, sorry, not Shaq, Kobe. Um, he's coached the Knicks. He's he coached, did coach Shaq. He coached Shaq. Um, he's coached Wade. He's coached LeBron. Um, he coached LeBron, but yeah. He's did. been an executive and a, uh, and a coach. I do. I would. I think there is not a single person in basketball at this point with more cash, cachet, cachet, uh, than um, than and Pat Riley. So if that's what it takes, we're really fucked. And I think that takes a major paradigm shift. And I do think that somewhat, if not excuses, like Sean Marks is never going to have that kind of pull where he can tell Katie to go fuck himself. He just no no normal GM is. Leon Rose isn't. Like, he was the head of CAA. It wouldn't I, have mattered. I don't think you need to tell them to go fuck themselves. I think you need to be able... Like, this is the job. The job is to, like, convince the people, convince your stars, convince your owner of what needs to be done, and then to get them to trust you. If you can... Tony tried to convince Christopher what needed to be done, and you, how did that end? Yeah, but if you, if you cannot convince Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, not even to be like... We're not going to – it's not like we're not going to sign DeAndre well, – yeah, we'll sign DeAndre Jordan. We'll fucking get DeAndre Jordan. But he's not that guy anymore. We're not giving him four years, $40 million. We'll give him some fucking portion of a mid-level exception or a taxpayer or whatever, some fucking exception that makes him more than the minimum. We'll get him here. You know, he's part of the team. He's your best friend. We don't – that's fine. We'll bring him in. 
but we're not starting him over Jared Allen. That's stupid. Guys, look, look at this. This like if you cannot have that conversation, then you suck at your job. Like, I never like this like when people are like, oh, the owner's meddling, the owner's putting all this pressure on the GM. That's the job. That is literally the job you sign up for. Like, we're, we can move this on to the, the Wolves because I'm really fascinated about the move they made here. But, like, like I, Jack, like, I don't know if you have some great knowledge of, like, the ownership powers and stuff like that in Minnesota. But, like, obviously, Mark Lorty and Alex Rodriguez, uh, you know, they are, like, the new owners. I know they're not the majority owners yet, but is it safe to say that, like, they have a lot of influence already as the kind of sale is going through? 110%. So they they were the ones who um, you know really beat the drum for Tim Connolly, and they were the ones that, that pushed that over the finish line, started the whole thing, built it up, and then basically took it to Glenn Taylor right before, you know, they were at the finish line essentially just to get Glenn's sign off since Glenn would be, you know, writing the first two annual checks there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this, this was very much, uh, very much something that new ownership was on board with also very much something that Glenn Taylor was on board with. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people bag on, on Glenn Taylor. Um, and, and I understand the reasons why, you know, he's, he's never been a guy that's really paid the luxury tax much. Um, he's one of the good billionaires is what you're saying. Um, but to his credit he's done everything in his power to make sure that the Wolves stay in Minnesota and I'd rather watch a shitty Wolves basketball team than watch you know the Seattle Wolves or the Kansas City Wolves or whatever Um, and and I think he you know he's a Minnesotan through and through like he wants this team to do well and so it makes sense that on his way out the door that he's able to kind of see a winning franchise And, and to his credit he he had offers lined up where he could have made uh, he could have made a lot more than he did selling the team. Took as much of a thirty percent pay cut just to make sure that he found the right people that wanted to keep the team there and that aligned with what you know he wanted for the Wolves. And so far, it's worked out really, really well in the sense that you know you go out and you get a guy like Tim Connolly, who's one of the most well-respected executives in the league, who, like you were saying, might have that sway of being able to say as a GM or, or a lead front office decision maker, like I'm that guy, you know, listen to me. Yeah, and, uh, and, and then, and then the other thing too, that then, then when Conley comes in, you know, he, he goes out and he gets one of the most well-respected scouts in the league and Matt Lloyd, who ran the Orlando magic scouting department. And even though the, the magic haven't been, you know, that great of a basketball team, they've made some really, really true draft picks over the last, you know, 10 or so years that Lloyd's been there. So, um, kind of like you were saying with that infrastructure, going, going back to the Nets, like it is nice that you know both old and new ownership are very much aligned in that you have to get the the right people running things so that you have the infrastructure to try and make a swing like this. Yeah, and I guess like where I was going to go with it, and I was going to ask you this is like so I was listening to uh, John Krasinski. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, he, so he was on. He is, is that the, Jim from the office. That's Jim, same guy. Yeah, same, same guy. person. Uh, but like, he is the Minnesota Wolves beat writer for the Athletic. He does a really good job. He's one of the few good NBA writers they have. Um, he was talking about how like Mark Glory is not like a passive observer. Like he's like involved and he's into the analytics. He's into all of this stuff. And what I was what I was what I was going with this is like you know if you're so like. 
whatever. They make this Gobert trade. We'll get into the specifics of it. It's a big, it's, it's, it's a massive trade. Um, but like, let's, if this shit goes south, which hopefully it doesn't for your sake, but if it does go south, no one's going to sit there and be like, oh, well, you know, Mark Lurie really, you know, he, he really put, put the pressure on, uh, you know, Tim Conley to make this move. Like, no, like, that's the job. That the job is like, if, if Tim, if Mark Lurie's in there, like, we have to get Rudy Gobert at all costs, Tim Conley can't just be like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Fine. Let's just do it. Like, he has to be like, look, we want to get Gobert. If this price is too much, we can't go for him. This is, and you have to convince your owner of that. If you cannot convince your owner of that, that's part of the job. I'm sorry. Like, that is part of the job. And you can say, like, yes, are there worse bosses to work? Like, are there worse owners and better owners? Absolutely. But all, like, anybody that sits there and thinks, ownership signs off. Every single owner in the NBA signs off on, on deals that are made. They put, every single GM is under pressure from their owner. That is like, across the board, a reality of these jobs in, in the league. So, call them David Bowen, and they're all under pressure. <laughs> uh, but like, like that's why I never, I never care about that. Like, oh well, you know, Kevin Durant wanted this. Okay, cool. Like your job is a GM is to be like, hey, Kevin, this is stupid. Okay, and let me tell you why this is stupid. But we can do this thing that is is good and smart and will help you win championships. That is the job is to convince your superstars and your owner. That's basically the job is to like convince them to do the smart things that you think they should do, and like. That is it. So I don't care about any of the fucking, you know, oh, well, it's tough. Okay, it's tough. Yeah, that's why they get paid fucking seven-figure salaries. You know, like, it's not supposed to be easy. Can you, you, I mean, it's almost like a chicken and the egg thing um, where, like, someone like Pat Riley, right? Yes, he's developed that ability. If he didn't immediately get to coach, a team that happened to have two of the top five, ten players in NBA history that, I mean, yes, I'm not taking away credit from him. But, like, to, to get to that level, um, it takes a lot, you know? Of course. Of course it does. Like, it's not just the question of he willed it, right? If we were like, Riley's just a badass who doesn't take shit from anyone. And I'm sure there's an element of that. But I'm sure a lot of these guys have it because they have risen to this level. And the reality is you just don't have that level of... Um, that's why so many Knicks executives have failed, right? You think Donnie Walsh wanted to trade, do the mellow trade the way that happened? I'm not... I'm saying, you know, the, the main argument I think that no one really addresses is because we have waited and all of that. But, um, you know, that's that's the struggle. And I don't really think that just, like, I'm going to be more of a hard ass and I'm going to be... I'm going to get through with him. But you, it, it doesn't... It hasn't happened, really. But like you, the entire thing is like you have to be a salesman. Like you have to sell your position. You have to sell what your vision is constantly. And I'm saying without something like Pat Riley's resume to back that up, which is pretty much unmatched in NBA history. Um, when you look at the breadth and depth of it, um, it's that doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. But like, okay, like that. I don't. I don't. You're that's the job though. Like ultimately, like Sam Presti had these. He had Kevin Durant for what eight years? Is it nine years? Well, however fucking long he had him there, right? Like he had him. He had Russell Westbrook. These are not easy guys to deal with every single day. Somehow he managed to like not give in to every whim 
And yeah, Dimitri, because he had he had them under rookie control and then second contract control, and then one of them left. But we're seeing left. that doesn't matter. We're literally seeing that it does not matter. Kevin Durant now, was, now it that was, was the not case the case. In the early it 2000s. was the case then. It was absolutely the case then. All these we had already seen LeBron James basically plan out an exit strategy for from Cleveland three years in advance of actually doing it. And then going to Miami, and then but on his second contract, not on and then, but he left. rookie deal. But Durant was on his second contract in OKC, and then he, he left. Yes, he left, but like he didn't. Presti didn't just like do everything Kevin Durant wanted. I'm sure. Yes, of course they did things that he did. Like I think part of the reason they kept Derek Fisher for so long is because apparently for some reason Durant and fucking Westbrook loved it. So like, maybe yeah, they hated Matt Barnes. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like, yeah. Of course, you're gonna do. You have to do some shit they want you to do, even if you don't think it's smart. But you can't do literally everything. There's got to be like a a line where you're like, okay, no, no, this is actually really stupid. Please, like, please don't, Kevin. DeAndre Jordan might be your best friend in the world. He is not a better center than Jared Allen. Like, we are not doing this. We will play him. He will be in the rotation. He can come off the bench. But he's not like these are very basic things you need to be able to do. If you can't do that, then you suck at your job. If you can't be like, no, we're not like it's cool that you want Steve Nash. This guy was fucking doing studio work for Champions League matches for TNT before coach. Like he's never coached before. He didn't want to coach. You know, like if you can't, like okay, fine, we'll move on from Atkinson. But these are guys that I think really help us. If you can't have a conversation like that with him. And you can't impress upon him your point, then you fucking suck at your job. Then I, I I do agree with that, and a parallel I'll draw because I do follow this team uh, pretty closely is the Eagles. Um, this is very similar to how they mismanage Carson Wentz, um, and um, you know there's been a lot written about it. But Howie Roseman was known as very analytical GM, even this year. Like he's great at finding value in the draft, um, you know. And I think a lot of these guys that get hired for that, there's there's merit to it, obviously. I think Marx is from that school. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot written about how Roseman and the front office enabled Carson Wentz into some bad habits. He was insecure after Nick Foles won the Super Bowl. Um, and I don't think he handled the Jalen Hurts draft pick well. They didn't manage that well at all. And he didn't improve, really. Uh, he didn't let go of his bad habits. And they wouldn't. And part of the reason Doug Peterson left, and I think that was a big mistake by them, even though I think Sirianni's a good coach, was that they would not sign off on letting Hertz take over the starting role. Um, so I, I definitely agree with you that it's a big part of the job. Um, but I do think you're a little bit under... I think that the DeAndre Jordan thing, that's open and shut. That is like just... That's like people made fun of the Knicks for signing Chris Smith. Remember that? Oh, gosh. Um, to sign J.R. Smith. Um, but this is worse than that because you're signing a guy who hasn't been... I mean, I don't know how he keeps getting contracts. Uh, he did. He has a contract, and Boogie doesn't, right? Even the one has proven to be much more useful. He must uh, have like blackmail on literally every GM in the NBA and player. Maybe Can you imagine how sick that would be <laughs> <laughs> to be in that spot. Like you just get whatever you want. You, they, there needs to be an HBO show of like <laughs> someone who he has like a he has like a Ray Donovan or someone who I mean, like gets dirt on GMs and then just uh, he's made a way over. Well, he's probably made like close to two hundred million dollars, which is insane. Um, but, I mean, the point I'm making yeah. is I do think you're understanding a little bit, especially, like, I get that maybe you think KD is a little bit overrated, but how he's viewed across the league is that, like, one of the top two or three players consistently for the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Well, and, like, it's, it's 
I mean, it's not just that it's tough. It's, it's very infeasible, I think, for the most part. But they probably could have done a better job of pushing back, yet to your point, on something like the DeAndre Jordan thing, right? So, The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, make your first deposit, and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Everybody in the league is stupid about Kevin Durant. What can I do? Um, All right, uh, let's talk about this Wolves trade. So the Wolves trade fucking, what, like, Pat, they basically, the, the players are, is it safe to say the players are, I don't want to say they're irrelevant, but they're not like the key to the trade at all? I don't think that's like a terrible off base way of putting it. Um, <laughs> players certainly weren't what was enticing Utah. So the yeah. Timberwolves sent Patrick Beverly, Malik Beasley, who are both effectively on expiring contracts. Malik Beasley has a team option for uh, yeah. two seasons from now, uh, but that, that won't get picked up. And then, they also sent Jared Vanderbilt, who's on a very good contract, team-friendly contract for the next two years. My boy, uh, Jared Vanderbilt. Love him. He's awesome. And then they also sent Leandro Balmaro, but that hasn't been confirmed. That's kind of like he's reported to be in the deal, but there hasn't been confirmation there. Um, and then they Once sent, a Nick, always a Nick. Yep. Balmaro. Yep. And then, um, and then they sent the draft rights to 2022 first-round pick Walker Kessler, who's the number 22 pick. De- uh, Naismith Defensive Player of the Year out of Auburn. Um, were you a Walker Kessler fan? Not really. I didn't love the pick. Um, but I understood why they tried to do it, um, uh, for a lot of the reasons that we'll get into, uh, when, when talking do you, about do you the, the think, basketball reasons. Do you think they knew, like, I, I'm sure that they liked Walker Kessler themselves, but do you think they knew that Utah liked Walker Kessler when they made that pick? I don't think so. Um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if part of the Wolves' process in trading back there was uh, to try and entice San Antonio with multiple firsts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I honestly might have been more of a DeJounte Murray move made in mind um, in that, you know, uh, you know, Pirtle's not long for San Antonio. You know, maybe you just throw a mm-hmm. developmental big out there, give him some minutes. That type of thing, but but I have no idea. I, I think Chris Finch. I just I know Chris Finch really really liked Walker Kessler and kind of drove the bus on that. Um, so I, I think they were operating under the assumption that like man, this Gobert thing is just not going to happen. Um, and you know, hopefully we'll stick Kessler out there next to Cat for like five minutes a game, something like that. Yeah. Um, but so, then, yeah. and then outside but- of Kessler, obviously they send. Yeah, you know, the rights to five first round picks. Um, so it's it's twenty twenty three, twenty twenty five, and twenty twenty seven unprotected. Yep. The twenty twenty six pick swap is also unprotected. Correct. And then they traded twenty twenty nine. That's top five protected. Correct. My a question on that: the top five protection on twenty. I don't. They can only protect it for that year, and then it just converts to seconds, right? Because they can't trade out. Like they can't 
push the protection out further than that year. Um, it also wouldn't surprise me if they have a handshake deal saying like in two years, we'll amend the protections on it um, or something like that. Um, you know, who, who knows on that. Um, but, but I think that that, that probably makes sense. Um, but that's kind of an interesting thing. Cause I don't know that we've ever seen a, a pick seven years out um, traded to begin with, let alone. Um, <laughs> might get a couple of, we might, we might, you might not be alone. Protections. Yeah. yeah. You might not be um, alone this year with the Lakers lurking. Yeah. And, and just real quick, I, I just want to right off the bat before we get into the basketball reasons, like it, just to, to tie the, tie the loop on, um, on the ownership thing, like Mark, Mark Laurie really drove the, the bus on, you know, kind of just saying who cares about picks, right? Like I joked that my alternative headline for the Gobert thing I wrote was like Timberwolves acquire Rudy Gobert, shift burden of fucking up picks to jazz and blockbuster move. Like the Timberwolves <laughs> have screwed up so many draft picks in my lifetime. And I'm not even that old. I'm turned 24 this fall. Nice um, like, yeah, I know. I feel so old. Um, so I can't even imagine how, how you feel, Schwinn. Um, but, uh, my, back's, my back's killing me. <laughs> mine is too. So I'm, I'm not locked for this world. But, uh, um, yeah, so, so that was something that was really important. Like, I think this new ownership group really wants to win. Um, but like you said, uh, John wrote that, that Lori's really analytically driven. And, you know, obviously Gobert really pops out and, and just about anywhere you slice it from an analytic standpoint uh, in terms of his on-court impact. And uh, I think for a team that really hasn't done a whole lot of winning uh, in general, let alone uh, doing it in consecutive seasons, I think that's obviously enticing um, to an ownership group that really wanted to bottle up and, and continue uh, some some really, really fun environments at, at Target Center um, down the stretch of this season. I, I know... Richard Jefferson likened it to um, he, he called I think game one or game three or four uh, of the series likened it to you know those those Oklahoma City days where that crowd was just insane. Um, so I, I think they really want to really want to build on that and make the games accessible and and when you know once you get inside you're seeing a really good product on the floor. Um, yeah, I think. I so okay. I get, I get the move. I've read enough about like kind of the logic and all that kind of stuff. I get it. I think it's a move where you're like, we. I think there's two parts of this, and one part of it I really like, and one part of it is very frustrating for me. So like, obviously the two other key players in the team after having acquired Rudy Gobert are. Carl Towns and Anthony Edwards. I think one element of this is like they believe internally that Ant is going to be a top 15, 10 guy, like moving forward. That is yep. like the bet. Okay. So that part of the bet I don't hate. I love. I think Ant has that type of talent. I don't know if he's going to be that guy next year, but I do think within two years, like two, three years, like he's going to be that guy at some point. So I don't hate that part of the bet at all. I think that's like fine. It's reasonable. I get it. I would bet on it, right? So good for that. The other part of the bet, though, to me, is like it is part of an evaluation of Carl Anthony Towns and how it impacts the team. So I think I read that like the Wolves were like 25th in percentage of like field goal percentage allowed at the rim or something like that last year. Um, and they have, they were a terrible defensive rebound team. Were they the worst defensive rebound team in the league? By percentage, I believe yeah. so. So like they're That's terrible. what happens when you fire Tibbs. Exactly. Right? God damn it. 
Yeah, <laughs> I was in Tim's last game, funny enough. It was a blowout win yeah. over the Lakers on New Year's Day, and then they fired him. Kind of a weird yeah. <laughs> But, like, like, and and I think part of, like, so those two things to me are, they're very much about, like, Cat is not a particularly, he's a better defender than he was, but the, that's still not saying a whole lot, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and, and more importantly, and I think like this is the thing that people really think this is maybe what drives him more nuts about Carlton Towns than his defense. He is like so much of a space cadet on the glass, on the defensive glass. On the offensive glass, he's a monster. Defensive glass, he's just like not locked in. And I you can get away with that if you have other dudes that are super locked in. But like I, I think it's safe to say that Anthony Edwards maybe isn't there yet in terms of like his you know, attentiveness to defensive rebounding positions. Hundred percent agree. Uh, you know, like whatever. It's it's not like that complex. There's not not a very good defensive rebounding team. And if Carl Anthony Towns was a more of a presence in that area, they would be. You would see that impact. But he's not. He's he's bad at it, and that that manifests. So like, I get the appeal of Rudy Gobert in the sense of like, okay, we need somebody to address these weaknesses. And to that point, like. There is not a player in the NBA who is better at rim protection and defensive rebounding than Rudy Gobert. Like, those are the things that he does that are extremely boring, that and screen assists, um, that, like, help his teams consistently win his minutes, right? Like, that's why he's such a high-impact player. That's why the on-off stuff for him for, like, seven years is insane, right? Like, he's just – he does these things that are extremely boring but are super fucking important, and he does them exceptionally well. But, like, what I hate about that is, like, it's like you're making this trade for Rudy Gobert, who I think by impact you would – if you're just talking about pure impact, regular season impact, he's, like, at worst a top 10 player. Yep. Um, but, like, when you get into the playoffs and then when you're talking about, like, what do you ideally want from the guys that you're paying out the most money to, right? Like – and I'm not talking about $15 million contract. Like Rudy Gobert is making $40 million plus over the next four years, whatever it is. Like, how can he impact the game offensively a bit? And I know the offensive rebounding stuff is there, and he's a really good role man, but, like, we've seen teams switch, and he can't really punish that. Um, and, like... Can I, can, I, can I jump in? Yeah, yep. Yeah, so um, so I, I'm I, I feel terrible that I can't remember who 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 made this point, but something that that I read that I just like I I tried to get uh, like seek as many different opinions on the Go Bear move to to see what all the different angles people were talking about were, and one thing people talked about were the Jazz were terrible at hitting Go Bear inside after he sealed, like he'd roll and then seal on a lower defender, and they were just terrible at getting the ball into him. And, Isn't that something that Cat also sucks at? He likes to pop, right? Like when he sets screens, he like he pops instead of rolling. Yeah, I, I think Cat's a better. He's definitely a better popper than he is roller. Um, but but I think Cat this year really improved in terms of his decision making after he set screens. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of when to kind of screen and then sit down at the nail and catch the ball and kind of play make mm-hmm. on the short roll versus popping versus rolling, etc. But with Gobert, like. Mike Conley's what six feet tall, six two, six one. He's also just like not. Donovan good. Mitchell's six one, yeah. and like, Conley's now too. Yeah, and those are two really <laughs> short guards that that can't throw the ball over the tops of, of potentially taller defenders that they're dealing with. And you have, you know, guys who might have the ball in the perimeter in those situations, like 
a D'Lo, an Ant, who are both 6'5", or McDaniels, who's 6'10". Who's, he's really 7 feet, but they list him at 6'10". And then you have Cat, who's 6'11". Um, like, they're going to be is able Kat to... Shorter than, is Cat is shorter than Jaden? Yes, but they don't yeah, listen yeah. that way. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I think that that's just such a small thing that I think can help Gobert average three, four more points a game or get to the line a couple more times, just because when he is able to create that mismatch... His teammates just in Utah didn't help him punish it. And I'm not saying, like, obviously you'd hope that a guy that you're paying, what, 35% of the salary cap can, like, create those mismatches and punish it himself. But, like, when you're playing center and your primary role is at, like, a screen, as, as a screener and roller, like, you do need it, like, you can't do everything yourself. You know, you're not a perimeter centric guy who's got the ball in his hands the whole entire time. And I think, at least offensively, uh, the Wolves should should help go bear with that a little bit. And then with Cat, defensively, like Cat averaged 7.2 defensive rebounds this year, which is the lowest in his career. That's not really surprising to me, considering that like he was playing at the level of the screen the entire year. Yeah, your scheme um, was like fucking aggressive as hell. And that's why Vando <laughs> was awesome. Everybody who watched a Wolves game was like, man, who is this Jared Vanderbilt guy just like flying around like crazy? Like I'm going to miss Vando a ton just because he made like, four or five just holy shit plays a game that oh that yeah so love fun. That but love um that but yeah i think that they're they're trying to really play to cat's strengths um which i think make a lot of sense because cat's weaknesses get him in trouble um you know he he struggles to defensive rebound he tries to get you now overzealous when he's beat positioning inside going over guys backs loose ball fouls um He's not the best screener in the world. You know, I think he, he had like point point eight offensive fouls a game on screens, uh, which probably was the most in, in the league. Uh, so so I like what they're what they're thinking is in that, you know, like if we can kind of help prevent Cat from getting himself in trouble, that he'll be on the floor longer and he'll just be so much more impactful. Um, and, and just from like a process, like throw out the picks for a minute, just from like a basketball process perspective I, I thought it was thought it was interesting and I don't hate it um, I'll, I'll let Stacy go all I was gonna say is like that part of it just annoys me that like part of this move is to like cover up the shit cat sucks at like I get it like it makes sense to do that obviously and like, I can sit here and say, like, well, I would trade Cat if I were them and push out my timeline and build around Anthony Edwards. But, like, you have your own... Like, like this is a situation where it's, like, you're Minnesota. You have Carl Anthony Towns and you have Anthony Edwards. These are, like, talents that you're not going to get all that often. Again. And, yeah. And so, like, I... Yeah, right. And so, like, I get why their focus is more on, like, okay, well, look, we understand what cat is amazing at and what cat fucking sucks at. And we think the best bet to try and win is to f- cover up what cat sucks at while accentuating what he's good at. So I get that part of it. Um, but I'll, I'll let Stacy go. Cause I'm sure I know Stacy loves centers. Um, nobody values centers more than Stacy does. So I'm very curious to get his thoughts on all of this. Yeah. I mean, from a pure value perspective, it definitely feels like an overpay. hundred percent. Um, but I mean, it's, um, you know, he has obviously deteriorated over the years in terms of the quality of his output. Um, I'm not saying that this person is someone we should take a lot of basketball reasons from. 
But there's a long article Bill Simmons wrote a long time ago about Russell Westbrook, and he brought up this idea of a 10% player, right? And the reality is, like, every player has, like, 10% of their game that, uh, especially in the playoffs and late um, in the season, in big games shows up, right? So, um, you know, even guys like Larry Bird had it, right? And the difference in the pure superstars and, like, guys who are maybe a tier below, and maybe this is the difference for you between KD and, like, someone like Braun uh, Schwinn is that 10% shines a lot harder, right? You can see that more with Westbrook in terms of decision-making and obviously the shooting ability. The question is, I think, is Cat's 10%, does that cripple your team as much? Or is that a 10% that a Rudy Gobert can cover up without losing much elsewhere? So the answer to that is going to be, can can Cat play viably at the four? on both ends, right? Can he play, do you get the most out of him on offense next to a center who's mostly paint bound? Um, can he guard fours in the perimeter? Um, can I, I think I've written about this. I think the four position has a lot of responsibilities in terms of awareness on defense. Can he be that guy in terms of a help defender and a utility cover things up guy? Uh, if he's not just the primary, if his job is just not just rim protection, but the more complex aspects of being a four. If you buy that, and if you just say, this is the guy that unlocks him, then yeah, I mean, what what are you waiting for, right? Especially a place like Minnesota, where you're not known for signing high-level free agents. Um, you know, you keep another big-time shot blocker in in, in Jaden McDaniels, or maybe not big-time shot blocker, but elite defender. You have a guy, like, between Cat and Ant, you should pretty much be guaranteed of it great offense as long as Gobert doesn't create too many spacing issues. These are the kind of moves you have to make. That's the reality of the NBA, especially now when, when guys aren't moving that much. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I think with with Kat, so much of that, that 10% is based on the positions that he's put in. Uh, in my opinion, Kat's a better perimeter defender than he is uh, an interior defender. I thought Cat absolutely dominated John Morant on the perimeter in all 10 matchups that, that the Wolves had with the Grizzlies this year. Um, I, I can't remember if John played in all 10 of them, but but his numbers were worse against the Wolves than they were against any other team this year. And a lot of that had to do with the way that Cat was able to, you know, successfully blow up plays um, that Ja tried to make by splitting the, splitting the double at the level or, you know, forcing him further north. Uh, you know, away from the basket. And uh, so I don't think there's any question that Cat will, will be able to defend fours. Um, and Cat's effectively already been playing the four offensively. Like Jared Vanderbilt has, you know, been a, been a guy that's played alongside Cat a lot uh, this last season. And, and he's just pretty much in the dunker spot, setting screens everywhere, um, flying around, cutting off Cat, and using the post, uh, that type of thing. So, um, so from a position standpoint, I like it, um, and and I think in terms of that ten percent, obviously, you know, I may see it with a little bit of rose-colored glasses, um, and I'm and I'm willing to admit that. But um, I, I think Gobert can can make up for some of that stuff just because he's a generational talent at you know. His strengths are generational, and those strengths are what's going to cover up Cat's weaknesses. So, um, I think it's it's just a really intriguing, intriguing way that 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 you 
kind of put that um, and that, that Bill put that, but um, it'll be interesting. Like I, I think Cat's Cat's still got a lot to prove though, in terms of his decision-making on both ends of the floor. Like there were some bonehead boneheaded plays. <laughs> um, there's no doubt about that. And I think that's definitely still part of that, that 10% that can come out in the playoffs. But your hope is just that like Gobert just positionally won't put Cat in situations, you know, that, he he's more frequently making those those boneheaded errors. Well, I mean, you're also like baking in like the thing is with Gobert, you just have more margin for error in that sense. Like a hundred percent, yeah. Like it if, allows everybody to be more aggressive, and and I think the biggest thing that a lot of people have have missed in their analysis of the move, especially national media members, and like I don't really expect them to get it right because they're not actually watching the Timberwolves, but. Um, like Jane McDaniels and Anthony Edwards are legitimately good perimeter defenders. Um, uh, and you know, Utah had arguably the worst perimeter defense in the league, uh, with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley and, you know, say what you want about D'Angelo Russell, but like he was, he was pretty good defensively last season playing off the ball. He's six, five, he's got a six ten wingspan. He kind of played free safety in the Wolves high wall scheme, guarded a lot of guys in the corners. He was attentive. He knew what he was role was. And he was, he did, he yeah. And, I, and I think at worst, um, you know, his length will allow or, or make it, you know, a little, it's a little bit easier on Gobert. Um, you know, he's still kind of a turnstile in terms of on ball defense, but, um, but he's bigger and a little bit more disruptive than, than Mitchell or Conley. And then you have two guys that are legitimately really good um, perimeter defenders and Ant McDaniels. So you'd think that the burden for Gobert defensively um, would be, you know, not as massive. And then, you know, you also have to factor in that, um, you know, since, since Gobert uh, really became a full-time starting center in Utah, I think the the Jazz have only been outside the top 10 in defense once, and they, and they were 11th, I think, two years ago because Gobert missed like 20 games. I think they um, were also outside of top 10 this year, right? They were 11th, uh, they were was, 11th this year. I was looking at cleaning the glass. Um, okay. So okay. cleaning the glass might be a little different than um, than like w- yeah. whatever – yeah, sorry, sorry, we don't we don't have the paid for metrics here. Sorry. Yeah, no, I have it right here. So <laughs> they were ninth by cleaning the glass this year, um, and so they had two number one defenses in the last four seasons, um, with having two of the worst perimeter defenders in the league starting together in the backcourt. So I, I think that it's hard to think that the Wolves won't be a top ten defense, um, and they're already a top ten offense. They're the number one offense in the league the second half of the season. So I, I think honestly. It's going to be more of a, how does this work offensively uh, than how does it work defensively? And do you think there will be spacing issues? Like, is there a blueprint for kind of the cat Rudy front court? And with Ant, where obviously he can shoot, but you don't really want him being a floor spacer. Is there kind of a blueprint or something that, you know, in terms of scheme where you think they would lean to to kind of maximize all three? Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if, you know, common NBA fans would, would know this, but Cat is one of the most versatile, arguably the most versatile scorer in, in the league. Um, but I mean, really, are you reducing him to just a stretch four at this point, though, if you... And, and that's kind of what I was going to get at, is that like... Yeah, uh, shut up, Stacey. Let him fucking talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Timberwolves wasted a lot of possessions last year trying to get the ball into Carl on the block. 
because Carl, um, when, when Carl got COVID, he lost like 50 pounds and he lost a lot of muscle and he struggled to kind of get that back. So he just bought into being leaner and meaner and really drove the ball a lot more this year than he had in the past. And the only two bigs who were more efficient driving the ball than him and found more success driving than him were Siakam and Giannis. Um, and, and so, Not even your uh, well. <laughs> yeah. And so I guess Jokic probably, even when he quote unquote drives, it probably counts as a post up, right? So. Right. Right. And so the thing with cat is, can you convert some of those post ups that cause problems where they took nine seconds off the shot clock, trying to get the ball into him and then he gets doubled that type of thing into cat running off a screen to shoot a three or, you know, them using cats, you know, shooting gravity to be able to, drag a defender out cat can pump and go and drive by him and i think it's just leaning into more of what cat's really good at uh and they and that enable and playing him playing the four next to a guy who's a really good pick and roll lob threat uh is important like vanderbilt was was a good pick and roll player um and played really well with d'angelo russell in the pick and roll but the thing is is that you know go or if vanderbilt's only six nine and and Gobert is seven one with a seven nine wingspan, and we all we all saw what D'Lo could do playing with Jared Allen, and so it's a little bit different when you have a guy that might be the best vertical spacer in the NBA, probably him and Mitch, right? Um, and so I, I think that that's going to prevent Cat from getting doubled in the post if he does want to post up against smaller fours, which he showed, especially in the playoffs last year, that he's more than capable of doing and, and finding success with. So it's it's going to be really interesting, you know, how they use Carl off the ball. I think it's pretty obvious how they're going to use Gobert uh, just as a, as a screener. Um, but but Ant is, is the big question. Like, are they going to run Ant a ton and pick and roll with Rudy? Are they going to still try and build on this two-man game with Cat and Ant where, you know, you just have this super multiple combination where Cat can roll, Cat can, you know, pop out, Ant can kind of probe in the middle of the lane, see what Cat does, and then make a decision? Or, you know, you're just going to have Ant play a bunch of iso ball, um, that type of thing. So I'm, I'm more curious to hear what you guys would do you know, if you were Finch and you were trying to kind of help Ant take his game to to a new level. One one what one other question. So you mentioned yeah. kind of Rudy has a, with the screening it isn't great. Um gets called for a lot of moving screens or with cat, not Rudy. sorry, cat, yeah. Yep. Um Yeah, no no. Jack's gonna be citing screen assist. That's his favorite stat now. <laughs> No, basically, uh, we, we should just count successful screens that Carl Anthony Towns didn't have to set um, is going to be my so It sounds like, you know, the ability to use Cat in pick and roll or as a screener, losing that, which I would imagine you do when you're playing with Gobert, isn't a big, isn't a negative, really. Um, I don't think it would be a negative solely because I think it opens up... Um, no cat to get into foul, some foul trouble. Um, but and, and granted cat and, and D haven't gotten to play all that much together. Um, just because of injuries and COVID happening at different times, et cetera, et cetera. And so D admitted in his, you know, end of the year press conference that the two of them haven't had the synergy that they'd hoped to. 
And I, I think that's something that they'll try and work on a lot in training camp this upcoming year. I still think you have to use Cat in that capacity just because he's so damn good when he catches the ball. The he's a terrific passer. Right? You get the short role play. Yeah. And so I don't think you want to go away from it completely. And granted, like Cat and Gobert aren't going to be on the floor together for 40 minutes a game, right? Um, or 45 minutes a game. So there'll be opportunities where Cat is playing the five. Um, and he'll be asked to do some of those things. I, I think that you'll probably see more ant cat pick and roll than cat delo pick and roll. Um, at least that's what I would do. But yeah, I, I think anything you can do to keep Carl on the floor longer and shooting more threes because he's just such an insane three point shooter is probably a win and, and not a negative. But, but, you know, Chris Finch is an offensive minded coach. So, I trust that, that he'll be able to kind of work with Carl and, and figure that out. But, but like I said, man, Ant is Ant is the, the the kind of wild card in this situation where I struggle to find a, a really like hand in glove. This is exactly what they should do and how it's going to work and how it's going to look. Yeah. So I, I've been thinking about this trade a lot because like I Rudy Gobert has just been really weird to me because I think over the – I, don't, I mean, people have been talking about his trade value, whatever it was going to be, for a while. And, like, what I got the sense of from just talking to different people was the league was still a lot higher on Rudy Gobert than NBA Twitter and general fans were. For sure. I, I don't think – I think even most teams around the league would tell you they think, you know, what Minnesota gave was above what anybody would have expected. Um that said, like, so, like, I've just been trying to think, like, what do I think about this trade? What does it say? Like, where are the wolves going? All this kind of stuff. And where I just fall on it is, you know, I already talked about, like, what I think the kind of the two bets that are being made here are, like, covering up for Cat, you know, that that's one part of it. And then obviously just Ant being that guy, like, that's the other part. Um, and it's like, do I think it was the right move? And this is like kind of complex because I don't think it was the right move at the price they paid. I do think they are a better team now for sure. Uh, I feel very strongly, assuming relative health, that they will be a top three seed in the West next year. I'm just very skeptical about it in the playoffs. I don't have any pushback to that. Like. I we feel just like don't know. I think anybody pretending like they have the answers of knowing exactly how it's going to go is is yeah. I just I just like I still feel like I and I I don't love having that much money tied up in both of your front court guys. Yep. That's a little bit concerning to me. I As tweeted for, that the morning it happened. Now. I was like, this doesn't make sense to pay centers a hundred million dollars. Yeah, like, I just I just yeah. I think that that part is concerning to me, and not because like like I do think for the most part they're going to be fine together. Like, I don't really worry about, like, I, I was listening to, you know, uh, I, I listened to Sam Vecini's pod a couple of days ago. And I still I listened, need to listen to that. Yeah. I listened to Simmons and Rosillo's pod and, um, and like, they were all talking about like, Oh, well, you know, we haven't seen it. Like, I don't think we need to see it. Like I'm pretty confident cat and go bear will work. Like, is there going to be shit they need to figure out? Yes. But against for like 90%, of the minutes they will play together, they will be fine. They will win the like they they will be very effective. It's that ten percent though that's like the difference, right? Like 
that's like when you're playing the Warriors and you're playing the Clippers and you're playing a team that can go five out and all these kind of things. Like that's where I worry about them. Obviously, we don't we will not have those answers until like we see it. Um, so like I get it from that perspective. I'm a little concerned from like over the next two three years. I'm not worried about this team. Like they will be good. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm yeah, not worried and, about that. And something that that was interesting was like. Apparently, and I think John wrote about this, was that the Wolves saw that Gobert was in just a terrible situation in Utah. Like, yes, they were winning games, but I just don't think that's an environment that most players would have fun in, especially if you're an all-NBA caliber player like Gobert is. Um, Most of those guys would have just said, like, F this, I'm out, right? And Gobert didn't. He was relatively happy for all nine years. He didn't really go to the front office, complain, say, I want to trade, that type of thing. And so they're betting that Gobert isn't going to be a guy that's going to just pound his fists on the table, kind of like you were saying with, you know, a Durant or a Kyrie or a Harden or insert star player that wants to have all the power in the organization. Like, that's not going to be Gobert. And I think that makes it a, a, a more of an interesting bet on, on the first round picks. Cause like, let's just say this, right? Let's say the wolves, you know, w- without go bear, let's say they just, just to be comfortable, like they'd win what they did this year. I think they won 46 games this year. Let's say they win 46 games for each of the next four years. Right. So that would cover the 2023, 2025 and 2027 drafts. Right. Or, or 2026. Right. Would you trade 10 win like an extra 10 wins a year for a first round pick in those years if everybody stays together like i sorry, think say I, that again say it again so like let's would say I trade yeah sorry basically would you trade a first round pick to win 10 extra games a year yes and i think that's what the wolves are betting here that in 2023 2025 and 2026 right those are the first 3 years in which the wolves uh pick like utah's the rights to it I think it's fair to assume that the Wolves are going to win 10, 12 more games or, or, or 5, 10 wins, whatever it is, more games than what they would have won had they not made the move. And so, and then they're just betting that the team will stay together, which I think, is, again, is probably a pretty fair bet given Gobert's personality. Um, and that Ant and Cat both love it here and both signed off on the move. Like, I think that's kind of the bet they're making there. Um, and then once you get into playoffs, you know, anything can happen. Like, I don't think anybody gave the Wolves a chance in hell to beat the Grizzlies. And then they come out, they win game one, they lead for what, 75, 80% of the series. And they just, you know, didn't have the mental makeup to win, went to close games at the end. And that happens. It's basketball. Um, so I think they were close enough to winning a first round series without Gobert. I think Gobert will give him a chance not only to just win a first round series, but potentially win a second round series as well, depending on, you know, health and, and all those factors, if they're able to figure it out. Um, but yeah, if you want to get into the, the playoff, suss out how the playoffs might look. I'd- the, the West is also really wide open now, right? Because Phoenix, we don't know what's going to happen there. Um, Golden State is aging. Does KD come to the West? Um, that's complicated. No. But there, there is... A- <laughs> There really isn't a dominant team right now, right? Um, so that's your. Um, so that, that also that, Dallas, means, Dallas is getting back Tim Hardaway Jr. So yeah, they they passed on Goran Dragic. So Christian Wood, baby, finals loading. <laughs> um, so I'm not I mean, gonna I think, pay mind that he's on his eighth team in six years or whatever it is. Like 
definitely nothing going on there. Just bad luck, right, Schwinn? But, yeah. but it definitely it definitely pays. Um, it definitely gives you more of an idea of like if this is the time when no one is able to acquire someone, and the West is wide open, and you have a rising, st- you have an established star as well as a rising one who looks any year now to be on that perhaps Luca tri- type trajectory. You know, now is the time to strike while the iron is hot, right? So, so like, this is where I really struggle with this because, like, I don't agree with giving up this amount of capital for Rodrigo Bear. I do get the appeal of going for it. Like, I think there is a good argument for the exact reasons you laid out of, like, why you should go for it if you're Minnesota. Like, the rest- And also factor in the Wolves have been to the playoffs twice in the right. last 20 years. Right. And so you want to build on that success. I get that. And it's just like, I get all of that. And I do think, like, the West is open. Like, I know that Golden State had this awesome title run or whatever, but I don't think they're invulnerable. Um, I mean, I it's actually really impressive the run they went on because they didn't even have their, like, full team for... I don't think they played, like... I don't think Steph, Draymond, and Clay had played together until the playoffs this entire season. I think the insane. first game back, Steph got hurt, was that Boston game. Yeah, it was so Maybe it was they didn't. And Steph was on a minutes restriction yeah, in the first ridiculous. round. Like, yeah. It was insane. Yeah. But, like, anyway, um, yeah, I agree. The West is there to be taken. And I actually, the, the like, so listening to uh, Krasinski with Lowe today, he's talking about how, like, that Memphis series was, like, one that kind of really drove home, like, hey, a guy like Gobert would probably win the series. And I get that. Like, I think if you play, as as these teams are currently constituted, um, I would feel like, especially with the added year of experience, more for Ant than Cat, because, yep. you know, I'm like, I, I think Cat is what he is, and what he is is, like, extremely talented, but also... And I um, still think he can learn from some of the film stuff that, yeah, that happened just, in that Memphis series. But. How old is Cat now? 27? Yeah, he turns 27 in November. 27 going on fucking 11 when he's on the court. Oh my god! If I have hey, to, you wish you could be 11 on the court right now. I wish I could be anything on the court right now. Um, other than he's a 9, but he acts 11 on the court. <laughs> but like, but like, so I think if they play Memphis now with Gobert, like, that tilts that series to me. I get that. The things that really worry me are like, okay, what are, like, I get that those picks down the line are kind of, like, the premium you pay to get the benefit up front. But, like, I do worry that Gobert is, what, he's 30 now? Um, like, and I know he, he's crazy about taking care of himself. He's obviously, like, very, like, you don't have to worry about this guy coming into camp. And, like, he's not going to be one of these dudes that comes into camp and plays himself into shape. He is in shape all year round. Like, he works his ass off. Um, but, like... Big guys, as they get older, that stuff makes me a little concerned. And then the other thing that I think was interesting. So last year, I believe the Timberwolves were top in pace, if I remember correctly, in the league. Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, They were definitely up there. I mean, Finch is huge on what you do with the first 10 seconds of the shot clock. And so it worries me a little bit because I feel like your defense is definitely – it's more stable for sure. Like I feel like you guys have really wild – up and down swings defensively, kind of the nature of like a high game, like a high risk defensive strategy, right? Um, but like you're more stable, you're going to. I think you will be a top seven eight defense at minimum. Um, but like offensively, I kind of worry about 
not so much the spacing element of it because yeah, Cat at the four, like you know, Ant two, McDaniel's three, D'Lo one. Like your spacing will be fine, but I do worry about like the pace of how you get into your sets in the half court with kind of like I feel like last year you were probably one of the most athletic teams in the league, and Nick found that out the hard way. Yeah, right. But like not, and not that like. And not that, like, the players you sent out were irreplaceable, but your identity has changed. And I'm just, like, very curious to see that part of it. Yeah, and I think something that that people may not know um, is, like, Patrick Beverly and and Jared Vanderbilt were more important to the Wolves' culture. I'd throw Torian Prince in there as well. Like, we're more important to the Wolves' culture this year than anybody, in my opinion. Like, they were just so tight with everybody on the team. and those guys just made so many, you know, do the dirty work plays that got the crowd into it, fired up their teammates, that type of thing. Um, and the Wolves don't really have a clear leader right now. Like, I don't think Gobert is going to come in and be that leader. I don't think, like, Cat could be that guy, um, you know, for stretches. But um, Beverly was kind of like the guy that they looked to as like, hey, I've been here before. Like, this is what we have to do. And like, yeah, you can say whatever the hell you want about Pat Bev, but like Pat Bev played on more playoff, played in more playoff games than almost like the whole roster combined last year. So it's fair to understand like why they'd look to him. Uh, but yeah, like you said, the culture is going to change the, the kind of the, um, you know, what the identity they take on is going to play a little, is going to change a little bit offensively. Um, and, and yeah, I think all those are super valid concerns. Um, and the one other thing that, that I'd kind of, throw out there just like from a playoff perspective is everybody's like oh well the clippers are just going to beat the shit out of them like okay cool well we could play the clippers in the western conference finals or the western conference semifinals if we lose to the clippers who are probably on paper the best team in the league right now like i got no problem with that like i've been watching the timberwolves like you know care more about ping pong balls than basketballs forever like, and, and and we look like the the Clippers have their own unknowns. Like we haven't seen Kawhi sure. play in eighteen months. Paul George dealt with some injuries second half of the year. Like they've got a lot of egos on that team too. Like I I'm pretty high on the Clippers. I I personally think when Kawhi is healthy, he is the best player of the league um, right now. But whatever, we haven't seen him healthy in eighteen months. And like they added John Wall. I don't know how that. Like I, I get why they added him. I get, yeah. I, I get it, but it's like. That's another ego into a team that has a lot of like got all these fucking things that you got to manage. I think Ty Lue's capable of it, but we don't know. And then, you know, like Golden State, they won last year. You know, Clay, is he going to actually be better? Because I don't know if Clay, like, if that's what he is, like, I don't know what, how that plays out. Um, you know, Draymond, like, it's cool that he went through a full season of just like not being able to make shots or even take shots. I don't know how sustainable that is long term. Uh, but like, you know, they have their own young guys. Like, how do those guys develop? There's all kinds of variables there. Um, I do think it helps that Dallas is going to be worse. Like, I don't care what so they is say. Memphis. Yeah, I think Memphis will be worse. I mean, they're, they're missing. Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to miss, like, the start of the year for sure. He had, a, he had his meniscus removed, I think, oh, that after sounds that good. injury. That's really good. Yeah. And now he has a broke. I'm not 100% sure on that, but now he has a broken foot. Like, and I just, Ja, like, I, I don't know how Ja plays 
70 games next year. He'll, he'll tweet through it. Don't worry. Um, but, like, yeah, like, I think Dallas is worse. The other one, Denver's going to be better. Like, they're yep. 100% going to be better. Like, it's the West is all over the place. I do feel like I just think there's a stability you get with Gobert that, like, is very. It, it is kind of like why he doesn't. He might. I don't even want to say struggle more in the playoffs because I think that's the wrong way of putting it. But he doesn't move. Like, the impact he has in the regular season is not at the same level in the playoffs. That's 100% yeah. fair. But and like, I, and yeah. 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 But but he's going to be like. I think if Ant and Cat can just do enough shit offensively and Gobert is there, and he's been durable throughout his career, so this is not like a huge concern for him. Like, that really should be like a 55 plus win team right there. Just I, the- I, I would hope so. Yeah. I mean,. I think the Wolves are betting on being really good in the regular season, having a really good home, like having home court advantage, and then anything can happen once you get into the playoffs. And I, I kind of like that. Like, you know, Finch is the, the Wolves really trust Finch to be able to figure this thing out. And in the playoffs, another element that I think a lot of people aren't really talking about is when Jaron Jackson Jr. wasn't on the floor for like stretches in that Wolves series, like Kyle Anderson was playing the five and he was doing a, a somewhat decent job of it. And that was when he was playing with Brandon Clark at the four, like those two guys were both out there and they were beating the Wolves. Like, I, I think we can put some of the like spacing to bed a little bit if you're able to defend really capably. And like, let's say Gobert gets played off the floor, right? Not not a great, not a great outcome considering what you get up to give him. Whatever, you know, you can put Kyle Anderson in at the five defensively next to Cat, and then still have D'Lo Ant and Jaden, and that's still that's a pretty good small ball five. Like I'm not going to sit here and act like it's like going to set the world on fire, but I don't think that small ball five man unit just gets destroyed. Um, like that was the the core five that they were running outside of like Pat Bev in the playoffs last year, and instead you're replacing Pat Bev with a guy that's six eight ish, something like that, who's a pretty good defensive wing who can guard, I, in my opinion, one through four in some fives. Well, I should say two through four in, in some fives. So it's not like they're not going to be able to play small ball. It's just that I think that they're going to have to play a lot of different ways in the regular season to make sure that when the playoffs come around that they can be adaptable uh, if, you know, their whole, hey, they're going to have to, like, respect our game instead of us having to bend to the other team. Like, if if, if that option doesn't work, I still think their, their backup plan is, is fine. But it, they, the regular season will be fa- – the Wolves will be fascinating to follow – and cover just because I think that they're going to have to try so much different shit to get on film for themselves that they can turn to in the playoffs. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see how they, how they kind of suss a lot of that out. Um, yeah, I think uh, they're definitely very fascinating. I think the West in general is really fascinating. Um, I did want to, uh, I got uh, just one thing before we move on from the rules. I was listening to this pod again today, and one thing he, like, you know, Zach Lowe and Krasinski they were talking about was like, well, you know, like, if it doesn't work out, they can just trade Cat and they can, like, replenish their pick situation. So, like, that's part of it, too. And I'm like, 
that seems like an insane and really stupid logic to arrive at to like justify making this trade. Like, yeah, well, if it doesn't work out, we can just trade cat. Like, really? Like, that's that's the solution. <laughs> to, like, replenishing your draft cupboard after that. I don't know. That was that was like a bit much for me. I was like, all right, like we don't. That's that's not a real reason. Get the. Fuck I don't. Out of here. I don't think you'd trade cat too. I think you'd <laughs> definitely try and trade to go bear. But hey, man, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It was like, I was like, all right, relax. I, mean, I definitely, like, it definitely is true. Like, you could trade those guys and still probably get picks, but like, I, I don't think making the move with the thought of that being your safety right. net is good process. Yeah, like, there's no way that's that's the thought process. Uh, all right, look, Stacy, I haven't talked to you since the Knicks actually signed players. Um, so, you know, curious to get your thoughts. And Jack, I don't know, you have some feelings about all this stuff, too. Uh, the Knicks signed Jalen Brunson, four years, $104 million is the reported price. And then they added Isaiah Hartenstein, two years, $16.7 million. Uh, and they bring back Mitchell Robinson, four years, $60 million. I'm, like, a million percent positive that that is not the actual number for him. Like, there's no way he actually got if he if he actually got four sixty, my feelings about this will be entirely different. But my feelings about all this stuff is like so far so good. Still still some big fish to fry for Leon Rose and company, but I'm happy with these three moves they've made so far. Uh I I'm I love the offseason so far. Um I think that um they they got their guy. Um and the more I watch Brunson, the more I think he's actually seriously being underrated. Um, let's start with Brunson. Uh, he is the best ball handler. He has the best handle the Knicks have had from a player since Jamal Crawford. Maybe one of the best ball handlers ever. Um, I think his passing is a little underrated. It's very good. Uh, I think he's a little conservative, but I'm okay with that. But when you get a 3-1 to one assist to turnover ratio, it's, it's tough to argue with those kind of results. He can get wherever he wants. Um, I actually really, one angle that doesn't get talked about, We everyone's been fretting over Quickly's minutes. I tweeted about this. Uh, like Brunson's like footwork and like finishing package is exactly what Quickly needs. As you know, an under-the-rim finisher. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think Brunson, it looks like it's been honed over many years. So it's tough to, to just assume that Quickly can, can build that up. But even a couple of counters. Uh, I mean, Brunson has counters and counters and counters. Um, you know, but just, it all starts from, you know, elite touch, you know, good length, um, and even that strength. And, you know, you see some of the, the, you know, there's that famous clip of Brunson just kind of bully balling Chris Paul. Um, but that's something we saw quickly start to do at the end of last season. So I think he'll benefit from, from being able to learn from someone like that. I think he benefited a lot from learning from Derek Rose, but that is a player with different strengths, right? Rose has that elite athleticism at the rim, which quickly is going to have to find different ways to be successful. Uh, but I think Brunson, and, and the other thing is, like, with a lot of the ball handlers, you know, we've talked about De'Aaron Fox, we've talked about other ball handlers the Knicks can get, Brunson can play off ball. Uh, and that's not just he succeeded doing that next to Luka. He's very good cutter. Um, he's good at sensing when, where to relocate, uh, how to create passing angles off the ball. Um, I think it's, it's in many ways a slam dunk. Uh, and I think we're to look at this a lot like, you know, how people looked back on Fred Van Vliet's contract, right? I remember there's similar debate in the, in the Knicks community about, is he worth that kind of money? I think if we could go back, we would have signed him. Um, obviously, Brunson's a different player, um, doesn't bring the kind of defense, or, you know, or pull-up shooting. But he, what he does bring is, 
is is um is different from Van Vliet too. Van Vliet wasn't that kind of interior scorer. And the thing is, like, even if you want to say, well, Brunson doesn't have the athleticism of some of the other guys, I think there's real upside because he's a good pull up shooter who doesn't shoot much from three. And uh, if you look at his form, if you look at all of that, it really just seems to be more of a mental thing where he wants to attack when guys go under. Uh, and you do need to change that a little bit, and that's not necessarily a given. But uh, if he starts pulling up, you know, when guys go under and drop, or pulling up from three, that's that's another that that really raises his ceiling. I think that's an all star you're talking about. Um, I loved the Isaiah Hartenstein signing. Um, if the Knicks were going to walk away from Mitch, he would have been the number one guy I wanted. Uh, and they got him for for less than what they were paying Nerlens Noel, which is pretty insane. That that was a that was a definite CAA hookup deal. 100%. Yeah. Um, he has clear flaws. He's not a good rebounder. Um, but also, what's different from Noel is I think the Knicks. I think especially Tibbs. You know, I think part of the reason he likes Taj, and you know, we do kind of understate. You know, Taj really did give the Knicks a little bit of a different look on offense. He shot like sixty percent from the corner threes. Obviously, not a huge sample, but. Uh, I think that was an underrated part of what really allowed Obi to start feeling more comfortable on offense. Yeah, I'm just hoping we get less of looks of Todd next year. That would be nice. That's true, but I think the point I'm making is that <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Tibbs does like multiple different looks from that center position. And Noel and Mitch had more redundancy. So you have now you have your center rotation. Yes, the Knicks are... Well, now we're talking to Jack where they're, they're investing nearly all of their cap in, in centers. But I think a lot of people are like, well, should we invest? Centers, in- all centers matter. <laughs> <laughs> centers are not running backs. They're quarterbacks. Um, no, centers, centers are offensive line. That's what they are. Um, they, I, I, they're, I would say they're safeties. Um, that's, that was, that's the football analogy I would use. You're talking about like farts? <laughs> wow. Really, Schwinn? <laughs> Going back to <laughs> Talk about being 11. <laughs> um. But um, but the the point is like you get now you have uh, Mitch who is a, he has clear flaws but elite rim protection elite rebounding that price tag even for someone who's been a Mitch defender was a little bit higher than I would have liked to see but um I think it's the upper end of the range where it's like this isn't some kind of crazy overpay we have a guy elite rim protection elite rebounding um and elite finishing you, know, you have that guy. Then you have a guy who, in Jericho Sims, is more mobile, very agile, sets terrific screens, um, can do a little bit with the ball in his hands. Probably better option, probably a, a good option as a change of pace, particularly against teams that go five, five out. And then when you have a guy like Hartenstein, who's a great passer, um, showed some ability late in the year to shoot from outside. We'll see if that's something they continue. Um, I think many people would are fair to point out that that's not really something you should count on. But the, he can still operate from the top of the key. He's a great passer. Um, you, you you can pair him with Obi, and you have two terrific front court passers and, and movers without the ball. Um, and 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 he also gives you that rim protection that Tibbs loves. Uh, and so you really have some flexibility now, and uh, from that from those three positions, uh, I love what they did. I'm I'm curious to see what they'll do with Fournier. Um, you know, what other moves they make. I think you'd still like to be able to play both Grimes and Reddish. Um, you'd still like to be able to get quickly 20, 25 minutes a game at minimum. Um, and not just because of the contract situation, which is going to start to become noisier, but also um, also because he, he's one of your most impactful players. 
Um, but so far, it's very tough to find much fault. And they increased their draft capital. They've, they've got, they now have more picks. And, um, you know, once that 11th pick turned into a player, even if it was Jalen Duran or someone else, uh, it loses its value. Um, whereas now they have three future picks. And they didn't, because they didn't really have a surplus of, they had all those seconds, which don't matter that much. And now they have three extra firsts. Yes, there's protections, but they're going to convey at some point between now and 25 and 2025 and 2026, which makes them different from that Charlotte pick. And um, now you have real surplus draft capital. Before, they really just had that Dallas pick, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, they didn't get a star. Uh, I mean, they might have gotten a star in Jalen Brunson. We'll see. But they didn't get some, you know, max guy who's going to change the franchise completely. Or that's not what it looks like on the surface. But they did pretty much what you'd want. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan so far. Um, I will. Uh, I've I've talked about this a little bit, but I'm curious to get Jack's thoughts um, on what he thinks the Knicks have done this offseason so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the Brunson signing. Like, I think everybody blew their wads about it being too much money and those people I don't think understand how the salary cap works and what percentage of the salary cap that figure is and where it is relational to how good of a point guard Jalen Brunson is or how good of a lead playmaker, whatever the hell you want to call it. Jalen Brunson is like, he's probably what in the 10 to 14 range for point guards in the league, eight to 14 range. And that's what he's getting paid. Yeah, so like I think it was totally reasonable. I think I thought it was a fine contract. I don't think it's ever going to be a bad contract. Um, and listen, this this guy was the second best player on the team that just went to the Western Conference Finals, and and he was legitimately dominant off the dribble in some of these games, like Stacey was talking about. I think you know teams started to go under more on screens to try and take away him getting into the mid range where he could get guys on his back, draw fouls. Um, but also like back down smaller guards, which I thought was an interesting element of his game. Um, and, and I just don't see a way in which RJ Barrett has his best year ever playing next to a, a guy like Brunson. That's going to be able to, you know, to, to probe and allow, you know, RJ to cut off of him you know, attack open space on the perimeter and and actually have a guy that's going to get him the ball when he's open in positions on the floor where he can attack from. Like, R.J. Barrett is legitimately excellent at at attacking off the catch. And I think he's going to have more opportunities to do that than ever this year. So you wouldn't Um, want him to take the last shot if he was playing the Wolves? Well, I mean... (laughs) I don't don't know about that. I mean, I didn't say anything about about him being a jump shooter, but... um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like RJ. Um, I, I think a lot of people have just like unnecessarily dug at him because he's not Zion and he's not John Morant. Um, I would rather have RJ Barrett moving forward than John Morant. Um, I don't I don't care if people, you know, get mad at me for that. That's I don't think anybody is. listening to this pod is going to be too upset. Um, you would rather have him than Ant Edwards too, right? Let's be honest. <laughs> No, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. <laughs> and that helps you sleep tonight, Stacy. Let's let's go with that. Um, yeah, but but I think Brunson is just such a rock solid fit with everything the Knicks have, and will really kind of accentuate what they're doing um, in terms of trying to develop guys on the right timeline. Um, I, I don't, you know, the the Randall thing will be interesting. I don't know how that's going to suss out. Um, but but what I like the most about the Knicks so far this year is like I think the Knicks could have the best bench in the NBA this upcoming season. 
Um, I, I really like the different looks that they're going to be able to throw out there, how, how fast they're going to be able to, to play and get into transition with, um, you know, with guys like IQ and Grimes and then OB and, and Hartenstein, like you were talking about, uh, Stacy, I, I really like that front court pairing. I think they're going to keep defenses off balance, be able to do a lot of different things, line up all over the floor, um, be able to have some nice Spain looks out of that. Um, I, I think you got enough versatile guys, um, you know, where you, where you can get some horns looks going and and just keep defenses off balance. Um, and I'm really excited to see kind of how Tibbs and his staff, uh, you know, put all the pieces together because I think all the pieces are there for them to to be a playoff team this year. Um, you know, obviously there's still a lot of things that need to need to take place in the East before we kind of have a, a more clear understanding of the pecking order. But um, I think this year there are going to be a lot of players that are going to be uh, in positions to be successful, uh, and the additions are only going to uh, to further that. I think it'll be interesting to see you know, how IQ's minutes are affected by the whole Brunson thing. Um, you know, I, I think that the Knicks having a guy like RJ Barrett, how tall is RJ? Like six, seven, six, eight. He's six. Uh, he's listed at six, six, I think. Okay. Yeah. So he's like really plays more like a six, eight guy though, just cause he's big and physical and, and whatever, where, you know, if you put those guys on the floor together for four minutes, right. I, I don't think you're going to get killed in those four minutes. Like I think people really over-exaggerate how like bad those two could be defensively. Um, you know, if you put those two guys out there with like RJ, Obi, and and Mitch, like I don't, I don't think that's a team that's just going to get killed uh, defensively. And I think they'd be able to to do a lot of cool, cool, fun things offensively and spread teams out. So I'm I'm really excited to see how, um, you know, how many minutes IQ plays and and who he's on the floor with, just because I think uh, he really fits in with with the additions that they made. So one one kind of um, follow up, right? Um, not just on IQ, but I think the players we didn't mention are as interesting to think about as players we did mention. So I think the two biggest questions. There's Fournier. We'll leave that, right? But I think two questions that would be very interesting to get your perspective on. One, um, you know, what do the Knicks do with Julius Randle? You mentioned Obi. It seems like with how the Knicks young guys like to play, Obi's a really good fit. Um, in terms of his ability to move without the ball, his finishing, how he runs the floor, or his passing. Um, you know, do they need to move Randall? How would you, you know, see that working out if they didn't? And the other thing that I think is, I'd be curious because I think the internal view from the Knicks may be different from how other people view him. Do the Knicks need to move Derrick Rose? Um, because when he's been healthy, he has been really impactful. He's helped, yes, everyone on the Knicks, including Quickly, although I think Quickly is also very good um, you know, when he's able to run the show, especially last year, um, are those two things that you, do you think those two guys need to be moved, um, you know, as, as an outside observer? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think Randall needs to be the second guy you said Fournier, uh, Rose, Rose, Rose. Um, yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think Randall needs to get moved necessarily. Like, I, I think there was just a lot of weird, off the floor, non basketball things that must have been going on with Randall. Like I just I don't know how you go from the season that he had uh, two seasons ago to the season he had last year. Like obviously he he doesn't have the most efficient looking shot profile um, and took some took plenty of dumb shots last year. But but I don't see a way in which 
Julius can't fit in with these guys um, just because Brunson is a really capable spot-up shooter. Um, and, and I think RJ is, is really growing as a spot-up shooter. Um, I, I don't think he's as good as he's going to be from that yet. Um, and, and I think that Randall is still a guy where there are going to be certain teams on certain nights where Randall is, is just a mismatch nightmare because he's so physical. He can get inside. He can take you off the bounce. He can hit jumpers. Um, I just don't think that's a guy that you should trade away right now for pennies on the dollar, especially, you know, like, like you guys were talking about from the jump where the Knicks aren't in a position where they're just about to cash all their chips in right now. And, Yes, the front office probably has some type of timeline in the sense like I don't think the Knicks can afford to like miss the playoffs again or be like a nine or a ten or eleven seed, um, or, or nine, yeah, nine or ten seed this year, which kind of makes it difficult. But I, I, I just don't think it makes sense from a team building or on court perspective to trade Randall for for pennies on the dollar. Um, Derek Rose, I think, is a more interesting one just because I think like. You could honestly play Derrick Rose, and if he gets off to a good start um, and his value kind of gets puffed up a little bit, you know, maybe you try and trade him, you know, at, at the highest value. But I think they should move Rose because, you know, Quickly is just such a uniquely talented guy in terms of how shifty, how quick he is, you know, all the different dribble combos he uses to get into his shot, uh, the way that he can get around screens, the angles that he plays at. Uh, are just really fun and like you need space to to grow your game when you have so many uh, you know high level skills that you just have to kind of polish and piece together and the only way that you can do that really is in live game action and figuring out like okay I can do this in this situation or that in that situation Um, and in learning how to fit in with your teammates and I just am so sick and tired of like seeing these insanely insanely entertaining Emmanuel quickly highlights and then seeing like, oh, he was plus 17 in 14 minutes and he lost by eight or whatever. Like, I just, I'm so tired of it. Oh, you and noticed I, it too? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like with Derrick Rose, like I, I, I think Derrick Rose is a very solid player. Like I, I, I think Derrick Rose probably impacts winning um, in, in a positive way uh, if he's on the Knicks this upcoming year. But at some point, like you, you just gotta bet that IQ is gonna really take a leap, and and you've gotta, you know, you, you can't make any money off a of bet unless you put money down. And trading Derrick Rose is putting money down. And I don't think that trading Derrick Rose would be a pennies on the dollar situation. I think they'd get adequate value for Rose, whether that's you know a good second, two seconds. There's a uh, team in Dallas that just missed out on Goran Dragic and lost their. Uh... Yeah, that's a really interesting one. Um, I mean, I I certainly wouldn't like it as a Wolves fan, uh, if if that's another way to look at it. But um, but yeah, I think it makes sense to trade Rose, at least a lot more sense than it would to to trade Randall for pennies or dimes on the dollar. Um, I think they need to trade both. Um, Rose just doesn't need to be here. Like, you paid Brunson $25 a year, quickly is... He's clearly proven himself over two years that he is fully capable of running the bench unit. Um, we do not need Derrick Rose. We do not need Tibbs having Derrick Rose uh, and playing him way too much. We do not need any excuse for Tibbs to 
to play a veteran more minutes than than Emmanuel quickly this year. Like th- there there needs to be as little there the, as many crutches as Tips has needs to be reduced as much as possible. Rose should go not because he's not good, not because he doesn't impact winning, not because I don't like him as a player, but because we do not need him anymore, and we specifically do not need him with Tibbs as the coach. Uh, if he is here and Tibbs is here, Tibbs is going to be here. If Rose is here, he will play at least 20 minutes a night. Those minutes will come at the expense of giving on-ball point guard reps to Emmanuel quickly. It is, it is stupid. He needs to go. He needs to be traded. He has value. That's the other part of it. I 100% believe that yep. they can get assets for him. That should be that. That's that is all the reason enough to get rid of him, uh, to trade him. Sorry, I should say. Randall needs to go for a variety of reasons. He, I just don't like. You cannot draft Obi Toppin eighth overall and in year three of his career still have him penciled in for only eighteen minutes a night as a backup for. That's just not feasible. And the thing is. Because of the decisions they have made in terms of bringing Mitchell Robinson back and signing Isaiah Hartenstein, there is zero chance Tibbs is ever going to try Obi and Randall together at the four and the five. So you think that trading Randall is more a byproduct of like creating space for Obi to cook rather than him not fitting in well with the current? I don't think he fits well either. I think he, okay. I, I think he'd be really like I, I've seen this. Like a lot of people are like, well, you know, Brunson is more of a playmaking guard to like unlock him or whatever. One, I like, I, I I just don't see that, and like, I also just don't like their fit together because Brunson and RJ both like to they're like inside out scorers. Like, yes, they can shoot, but both so is guys, yeah, yeah, I get that. Those guys want to get into the paint, they want to get into the rim, they want to live in there, and Randall does too. That's just not going to work. Um, I also think that. Randall's, Randall's ego will not allow him to... I just don't buy it. I just don't think he's going to be cool with Jalen Brunson coming in and running the show. And I definitely drive and kick centric, which I think would be kind of interesting from a Randall perspective. But. Well, trust me, you do not want to see Randall catching off a kick because what you will see is him pump fake, wait for his defender to close out, and then dribble into... A really stupid 20-foot jumper. Um, and then, like, I definitely don't think he's cool with RJ getting... Like, he was not... It was very obvious last year he was not pleased with, one, the crowd kind of, you know, being way more, you know, treating RJ with kind of, like, adulation where he was met with scorn, which, to me, quite frankly, he brought it on himself, so he can go fuck himself. Um, but, like... He, I just don't think that is going to work. It's not going to blend. If we get pennies on the dollar for him, so be it. Because, like, I, I, there's nothing he does anymore to me that really matters. Like, we had John Schmuck on the pod a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about he averaged 20, 10, and 5 in his ISO scoring and all his shot creation. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you can put up numbers, but if you just put up numbers inefficiently, who really gives a shit? I don't. Um, I just think this team needs to evolve, and I don't think he is part of that evolution. They need to move on from him. Uh, thank you for your service, but your time is up. Like, I just don't see it. And the other part of this, too, is like, and I don't care what people think this is good. The Knicks traded a protected first-round pick to acquire Cam Reddish. 
Okay, that's not the most amazing asset in the entire world that you gave up to get him. It is not some significant investment, but it is an investment that it that should mean you are prioritizing to some degree, not to the absolute degree, but to some degree, this guy needs to get minutes. We want to see what we have. Yeah, if bare Rand- minimum, you guys see what you have. If Randall is here, you will not see what Reddish has. You will not. Because you will not see him at the four, and you won't have enough time on the win. Rose, I, I, I would trade Fournier too if they could. I think they want to trade Fournier. Like, I could live with Rose's here as long as Fournier is gone. Ideally, I would trade both. Um, but hey, Rose is probably going to miss like 40 games anyway, so whatever. Um, but like, you need to carve out minutes for him. You have to see what he has. He is the only legit big wing on the roster. He has these tools. I think you. I think you were like a Cam believer, aren't you? To some degree, Jack. Um, yeah. No, I, I like Cam Reddish a lot. Um, I just think that he hasn't been given the space to cook um, and the space to fail and learn. And I think that's tough when you were a high school superstar that went to Duke and you know probably didn't have the space to be able to cook. <laughs> And then it didn't happen in the NBA either. So his trajectory curve is not surprising to me, but I think there's a lot to work with there. Yeah, and I just, I think like, like you can just see the tools when you watch him play. It's like, it is very visible that like he has things and he moves in ways and he can get to the rim in ways that nobody else in this roster is capable of. And that's not to say like he's a superstar, but like, is this a player that can hit like, you know, however he got there, right? Andrew Wiggins has been now a, a contributing, valuable starter. On a He's team. an all-star. Yeah, yeah. The most legitimate the all-star. Thanks, thanks to K-pop Twitter. Um, but, like... <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, I it weakens your laugh, but he has... He's really turned it around from a tough situation, so... Yeah, yeah just... Yeah, 100%. And so, like, like, can Reddish be that level of player? And it's like... That level of player at other positions isn't that big of a deal. But when you're talking about, like, a starting caliber wing at his size, like, Reddish, when you see him, like, I've seen him stand next to Julius Randle. They're the same height. I don't care that Reddish is listed at 6'8", and Randle is listed at 6'9", or 6'10", or whatever. They are the same height. When he stands next to Obi, they're the same height. You know, like, he is a big fucking dude. And the way he moves, like, his fucking length, his just his physical talent and his fluidity. Like, they don't have that on the roster. Trade a first-round pick for this guy. You need to give him minutes. He has to get a chance. He has to have a chance, like you said, to fail. Um, and that's not to say, like, you know, you throw him out there for 30 minutes a night, you do him the Kevin Knox treatment of just, like, do whatever the fuck you want. No. But, like, he needs to get a legitimate shot. Like, like you, like, your scouts clearly told you to make this move because they think they believe in the talent. I don't care if Tibbs doesn't believe in the talent. I don't care what Tibbs thinks. Like, Tibbs' talent ID fucking sucks, first of all, all right? Like, I don't care. You have to put Tibbs in a position where he has to play Cam Reddish. You have to do that. You owe it to yourself to do that. And part of that, to me, is getting rid of Randall. Part of I me, mean, Randall, getting rid of him changes a lot of things for the better, I think. If you talk about, like, you know, you talk about the flexibility and the kind of different ways they can go. Like, I don't think that happens unless you get rid of Randall. Because if Randall is there, your four and your five minutes, they are set. 
It's going to be Randall and Obi at the four, and it's going to be Mitch and Hartenstein at the five. Whereas, if you play, if you get rid of Randall and you have Obi at the four, and then you have Reddish at the four, like those are very different looks. And then you can also obviously like play Cam with Obi, right? At the three and the four. Like there's just so many more options that open up when you move Randall out of the roster. And I really fundamentally believe for this team to evolve, it needs to move Randall. And so like my thoughts on their offseason are like, I like the additions they've made. I liked the players that they moved on, and I don't mind the cost at all to do it, which was effectively six seconds. Um, I think part of the value of trading out of 11 for three future ones was obviously to clear cap for Jalen Brunson. The fact that they landed him, to some degree, has to factor into that move. Now, why is that? What do you mean? Oh, I just I'm, I'm obsessed with the the wind horse memes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> totally breaking my brain. My breaking my brain. Um, Very strange. Yeah. Very strange. Strange. <laughs> but like, but yeah, like I just I just think that um, you know they they owe it themselves to to give this kid a shot. Uh, and and also like I want to just kind of unrelated. I was reading uh, Fred Katz's article today about Jalen Brunson, and he was like. Oh, you know, I was talking to people around the league, and everybody's convinced they're going to get hit with a tampering charge. Can I just say this? I'm so sick and tired of this fucking tampering angle. This is the most salty, loser fucking level of bullshit that people have been coming up with. Fucking Mavericks fans. And now, oh, it's DAA's conspiracy. Shut the fuck up. Like, please shut the fuck up. I don't know if you guys remember this. But when, Kyrie Irving, bias. when Kyrie Irving signed with the Nets, when he signed with the Nets, literally like a month before he signed, there were all these reports that he was going to sign with the Nets. These were like reports. If you remember this, a week before KD and Kyrie signed with the Nets, they made this really weird trade where they dumped like a contract – on the on the Hawks, they traded two firsts out to dump a contract on the Hawks. They got back Torney and Prince, and that magically cleared enough space for them to have two max slots now, right? Like, like this idea that like what the Knicks did with Jalen Brunson is this super unique, like nobody does this. It's bullshit. Like, what? Is- not not only that. Then they then they say that Jalen Brunson signing is terrible. Yeah, like it's it's so bullshit. like you can't it, have it both it's, it's bullshit. The other part of that too is like if Jalen Brunson signed that exact contract with the Mavericks, okay. Oh, actually, let me before I the tampering. I want to say this: the reason team, the reason the Bulls got hit with tampering charges, right? The reason the the Bucks got hit with tampering charges, like why? It's because they wanted to buck the trend. Yes, no, it's because they agreed to like these complex sign and trade maneuvers. And they were signed, sealed, and delivered. Well, in the Bucks case, like they leaked that a week before free agency even started, which is insane. Uh, but like the Bulls literally announced the Lonzo thing about twenty seconds into free agency, and the same thing happened with the Heat. And the Heat, even more ridiculous, Kyle Lowry had like he was on video talking about how they had like talked about the deal even before uh, free agency had opened. He like said this shit openly. So yeah, you're gonna get hit with a tampering charge. Um, but to go back to the Brunson thing, I can't believe how much analysis has been given to this signing. But it's all from like this Knicks angle. Like, oh, did the Knicks overpay? Look at all these. Oh, the Knicks moved heaven and earth. Apparently dumping Kemba Walker, Nerlens Noel, and Alec Brooks is moving heaven and earth. Like moved heaven and earth to clear space for Jalen Brunson. Shut up. Like, to me, why isn't the story about how, how royally... The Mavericks fucked this up. 
they fucked this up like on every single level. Okay, they didn't extend him last summer. They didn't extend him before the trade deadline. Why? Because they wanted to just have him as a trade chip. And then as soon as they they went to him after the trade deadline, he'd be like, okay, now we can sign you an extension. He was like, okay, no. Like, I'm good now, actually. Um, My favorite thing about this is, don't the Knicks have the Mavs pick this upcoming year? Yes, we do. do. So there's literally no incentive for the Knicks to be like, yeah, you can come crawling to me on your knees, and we'll do a sign and trade. Like, yeah, they, they should no incentivize us to do it. Yeah, and 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 then like like if the Mavericks had signed the exact same contract, right? Let's say the Mavericks signed to four years, one hundred and four million. The narrative would be, wow, great job by the Mavericks keeping a key core to their team, a guy who is twenty six, who was drafted in the same class as Luka Doncic. They're keeping it together. Great, great job. Instead, it's like now the Knicks overpaid. Okay, but like, look at what he was offered by the Mavericks. It's an insulting offer. Like, they came to him, I think, with 5-106. The Knicks are going to give him 4-104. Like, that's, a, that's, an, that's not a real offer. That's bullshit. Like, that's, that is Cuban being cheap. That is Mark Cuban being cheap. He should get killed for that. He should get absolutely killed for that because all of their messaging after the season was, oh, we can offer him the most money. Okay, you can offer him the most money. Did you? But you, you didn't. No, you didn't. So who cares? Like, yeah, you could offer the most money, but you didn't offer the most money. And, and then the narrative became, oh, well, we'll just get Dragic. And they didn't get that. Like, that team is a fucking tire fire. Like, they were they, they didn't sign Dragic to the minimum. Like, what are you doing? You know, and your first move after the Brunson thing is, oh, we're going to go get JaVale McGee on our taxpayer mid-level or whatever. Like, this is a team that, like, you know, I saw a lot of stuff like, oh, the Knicks don't – they panicked at the draft. They panicked and they made this trade. Yeah, because normally when teams panic, they trade the 11th pick in a draft that universally was viewed as, like, not very good for three future ones. Definitely a panic trade. Um, but, like, like the, the Mavericks, to me, that's a team – it seems like they're just completely unprepared. Like – they went from being super confident they were going to keep Jalen Brunson to now retroactively they were leaking like, oh yeah, actually for the last couple of weeks we didn't think he was going to be back. Just like enough, enough with this shit with the Mavericks. Their fans are fucking losers. They're so salty about it. Oh, we're worse. Jalen's not going to like it there. It's a tough fit. You know, it's the fucking roster is not good. Like, okay, well that sucks, dude. Like because what's going to happen is that he's probably just still going to be good at basketball. And the Knicks will probably be better because they signed him. Um, and you're probably going to be worse because you let the only other player on your team that can create offense uh, walk. So, you know, congrats. I am I hope that Mark Cuban can buy a yacht with the money that he saved um, because God knows that's all that matters. And, you know, in the meantime, have fun moving down the Western Conference standings. Hopefully your pick ends up 11th. That would be perfect because if it's top ten, then you get it. Eleventh would be great. Um, I'm just, I just this entire Jalen Brunson stuff. It's like, I, I think the conversation around it has been so fucking stupid. It's one of the dumbest. Like the contextualization of it has been so stupid consistently. Uh, it bothers me beyond belief. My favorite part of the whole tampering bullshit that you were talking about was how the Kings were at the forefront of this and. Uh, the NBA was just like, yeah, you know what? Let's just the Kings have had it hard enough. 
they need to keep their draft picks. We're just gonna let the we're just gonna let the Kings off with the warning. <laughs> Meanwhile, everyone else gets digged for it. And then what was it like? The second round pick. Yeah, it's for the like, Bucks, which is like they kind of didn't want that pick. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I think, uh, and you know, I mean, the, the the Mavs had the chance to sign Brunson um, for I think fifty six. That was what it was yeah, for. Literally half the money. Yeah, that's less than we paid for Mitchell Robinson. So, um, you know, it's pretty inexcusable on their part. And the Knicks, if the situations were reversed, I highly doubt the coverage would be the same. Oh, the Knicks, they would, and they would deserve to get killed for that. Um, one thing I wanted to ask Jack um, while you're here is about a certain Timberwolf who has started a movie career, and that's Anthony Edwards. And- that's Juancho Aaron Gomez. <laughs> yeah. He's, He's a free agent. You can bring him back. Yeah, bring the, the sequel would be Bo Cruz and, uh, and Kermit Wilt's uh, team up. Uh, I got to hear your review on Hustle. Did you like it? What did you think about I think there was a, there was a funny article on, on Candace Hoopas that was very uh, Ant Edwards focused, but definitely curious to your thoughts. Uh, on that movie. Have you seen any good tweets from uh, referencing that movie, Jack? <laughs> yeah, I saw one from, uh, what was this guy's name? Uh, Patton? Uh, <laughs> uh, Alan something? Uh, My yeah, 15 no, minutes, but... you know? <laughs> should pin that um, Yeah, it was a banger. I saw that. I was, I was so proud of you. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I have very low standards for like movies and stuff like that. I just kind of like to watch funny stuff or mildly entertaining stuff that'll, you know, kill an hour or two. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Like I, I thought that like, you know, it was, it was fun to see all the different cameos. Um, and I, I kind of enjoyed reading some of the stuff about the movie leading up to it. Like I read that and on the day of filming came in and rewrote like all of his lines to make it sound more like him. So he made himself sound like Anthony Edwards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is awesome. Um, and when you're around Ant, like, you know, we obviously see Ant in the media. Um, he also had a cool clip where he was like, he can throw apparently and, and catch and like, he's he had some cool football clips on his Instagram. Oh, he's insane, dude. Um, like that clip of him saying like tennis, you know, swimming, lacrosse, whatever you need. I'll, I'll be a one from like, that's just so true. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, my thing with Ant is like, he's just so genuine. Um, you know what, what, how he is in the media, it's not an act. It's who he is and everything that he does and how he carries himself every day. Um, you know, when, when the cameras are off and media are just in there watching, He's the same dude that he is on camera versus behind closed doors versus, you know, with teammates or anyone else. Um, and, th- and that's my favorite thing about Ant. And you really saw that shine in the movie, which I thought was really cool. Um, and he, he's just a natural with it. I, I think it was kind of cool to see the director say that if they made a second movie, it'd 100% be based around, you know, Kermit Wiltz, which was, which was fun. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought it was a really fun, like, hour and a half. I thought Wancho was fantastic. Um, like especially the draft combine scenes, like leading up to that. And after that, I thought were awesome. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I thought the ending was, was kind of fun too. Like, you know, I, I think like, I mean, I don't know how many basketball movies really there have been made, but that was probably like my favorite basketball centric movie I've seen in a while. Like I just have such a bad memory with that stuff, but um, really enjoyed it. I'm glad that, 
you know, people really enjoyed Ant. Um, you know, hopefully it leads to us getting, you know, a few more national TV games and people actually, um, you know, watching the Wolves instead of just, like, bagging on them because they've sucked forever instead of actually, you know, doing their jobs and analyzing the game. But, um, yeah, it was fun to see that it was it was pretty uh, generally positively uh, reviewed, which was which was cool. Yeah, no, I I really enjoyed it. Um, he his personality really shines. So uh, I hope he I hope this isn't the last time we see him in a movie. And um, yeah, I, I hope uh, all the Tim Rose fans enjoyed it as much or or more hopefully than uh, the rest of us. Um, yeah, I, I, I love it. It was, it was very, very enjoyable. Um, all right. I think it's a good place to end it. We've been going here for a couple hours. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, love the people know where they can find you and plug in the other plug. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you can find me, like Sean said, off the top on Twitter at jrborman13. Um, you know, I, I run canasupas.com, which is the, the Timberwolves SB Nation, uh, SB Nation blog. Uh, we cover the Timberwolves and the Lynx. Um, so a lot of my stuff now that the Gobert stuff is here, and, and it'll probably be a little while before we, we get the finalization of that. Uh, but I'm, I'm covering the Lynx um, on the Lynx beat, which has been a ton of fun. So focusing on that. Um, but but I'll have some more some more Gobert stuff here coming um, probably next weekend over the, uh, the WNBA All-Star break, kind of breaking down. Uh, some of the offensive fit with with Gobert, especially with D'Angelo Russell, because um, it's it seems all likely that he'll be back. So you can find that at uh, canasupas dot com. Awesome, man! Thanks again for coming on, and uh, look forward to having you on again sometime in the future. Uh, Stacy, uh, yeah, no, nothing to plug. Um, on kind of a more of a downer of a note. Um, I know we have. Uh, I like to think we have fans from a lot of different places. Uh, Anyone in the Chicago area, Highland Park, or in Philadelphia, uh, I know it's a tough day for many people. um, So just wanted to, um, you know, to share that it's it's very uh, sad to hear about what happened. Um, Hope other than that, people enjoyed their fourth. Um, But uh, yeah, other than that, nothing to plug. I would share those sentiments. Um... I have nothing to plug. I'm just going to continue to plug the fact that um, don't sell your franchises out for mercenaries, kids, because uh, it usually doesn't work out well. And no, that is not a shot at the Minnesota Timberwolves, who I don't think qualifies that. It is very much a shot at the New Jersey Nets. Um, through suck ass, and got everything they deserve. Don't you mean the Brooklyn Nets? Nope, I mean the New Jersey Nets, who <laughs> fucking suck, and got everything they deserve to get. Uh, I am enjoying all of their misery. It is very, very, very fun to take in. Um, I hope it persists for a long time because I can really see how much pain they're in, and I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, so I'm really hoping for that. Uh, all right, that is our show for today. I uh, hope everybody has a great week.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.